This is Free Talk Live, talk radio that you control. Take control of the airwaves. Tell us whatever is on your mind, 855-450-3733. Again, this 855-450-FREE, as in freedom. With you tonight, it's Aria. Michael. And Mark. And I'm wondering what people think about what they call manspreading, which evidently is this, whether perceived or real, tendency of men to take up more space in public, particularly while seated than women. I think that you that that a that a man can manspread in private too. It's just that it's less irritating for those that are irritated um, by this. And and I get it. I mean, like if somebody's taking up more than one seat in the on the subway or whatever, that's going to be irritating right that's going to be annoying i mean beyond irritating especially if you're stuck standing because some inconsiderate jerk is standing there taking up sitting there taking up as much space as humanly possible yeah i think that uh, let's see if i remember correctly some pregnant lady is uh trying to pass legislation or something that you know has like pregnant only seats on the bus or the subway or something like that which i find to be kind of sexist well interesting if what it says to me is is that this person doesn't have the guts to say i'm pregnant i'd like not to stand right and i don't know what it would be like for everybody else but were i to speak her language and understand what uh what she said i'm saying this because i've been in new york city and been on the subway and i'm not sure that a half of the people on the cart uh, spoke English. So, but anyway, <laughs> if I understood what she said, I would. Uh, well, yes, ma'am, right here. You can have this seat. I, I'd give it to her right off because I wouldn't That's have just even. What you do? You be considerate to people. Sure, but... being pregnant is unco- it's uncomfortable to stand. Um, so, well, I mean, it's not exactly comfortable to stand in any situation. Sure, but I imagine if you're carrying around all of that extra weight, it's got that added level of discomfort. Yeah, there's some bloating that goes with it too. You know, the feet but get. I imagine it's true of most anyone, uh, male or female, however, that if they were to encounter some pregnant person on the subway who asked them for their seat, most people would gladly give that seat up for the pregnant person, regardless of the sex of the person who is sitting. Right. Right. But then again, I don't know. Uh, There's that whole aspect of third wave feminism where chivalry is dead because women killed it, essentially, and where the guy may very well respond, no, you wanted equal rights. Well, a man is standing there, so stand with him. Yeah, I think um, I I personally am not of that opinion. If somebody wants to be all equal rights or something, then I might have a conversation with them about that. But I don't I would not force upon a woman my uh, you know vision of equal rights because she was a woman sure i think that the largely feminism does not represent the the wishes of the majority of women at least in america i have no idea what it's like in great britain i've never been there and don't really care um but uh, I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be of that opinion. I mean, I can get it. If somebody says it, 
it, it can be funny on the internet or whatever. Ah, you wanted equal rights. But, um, you know, I wouldn't do that in real life because the vast majority of women don't want whatever the hell feminists are talking about. Right. You know, and well, there's uh, also the issue the, of the most recent uh, episode of trotting out. Hey, ladies, let's not have sex with our men until they solve this problem or that problem. Right. Like that you're constantly seeing this, which is to me nothing but a clawing attempt by a bunch of lesbians to get women to stop <laughs> having sex with men. So that I presume they will be more likely to have sex with women. I can't say I disagree. Um, <laughs> hey, th- hey, we don't like men, so <laughs> you shouldn't have sex with them. That's okay. definitely one of the areas that this third wave of feminism gets wrong. I mean, you can have equality without having congruence. I mean, that's one of the first things we learned during basic high school geometry is that there's a difference between something that is equal and something that is congruent. Congruent, for all intents and purposes, means identical. Yeah. Well, men and women aren't identical. Right. Equal doesn't mean the same. Right. And uh, you can, for instance, it's e- it's even easier than geometry. You can just look at a math problem, right? Two plus two is equal to three plus one. Yep. There you go. And they are equal, but they're not, not identical. the same. Yeah. And that's fine. Um, but I mean, you know, this is just this whole thing. Let's let's go on here as far as the uh, the, the the story because I think it's great. Yeah. So speaking of man spreading, yeah, evidently I, a a woman seems to of be of course it is out of the United. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> can't argue with that. Yeah, has designed a chair that forces its male occupants to sit with their legs closed. Yeah. Now this raises as a trans person, this raises a lot of interesting questions for me. Which way do I get to sit in the chair? Right. Um, well, as I understand it, especially in Great Britain, they have some a phenomenon called TERFs. Are you familiar with TERFs? We have them. Yes, we have them here. That's yeah. uh, trans-exclusionary radical feminists. Right. We so, have them here in the United States as well. As a matter of fact, not too long ago, the I think it was the Heritage Foundation had some TERFs come speak. It was a it was conservative organization. I don't know which one. Uh, I, th- I thought it was the Heritage. Maybe I'm right. It's just coming from memory. So they said they had some turfs come speak. These trans exclusionary radical feminists and the ladies and the conservatives agreed. I am not surprised. And the agreement <laughs> is that you're the gender that you were born. And this is interesting. When the feminists and the conservatives are agreeing, what does that mean? I don't know. I mean, it's I. They didn't summon a demon, from what I could tell. Yeah, it so. seems like a sign of the coming apocalypse. Yeah. I, I would have to say. So that's all very interesting. I um, am of the opinion that uh, that identity politics is self destructive. Oh, absolutely. That this is part of the whole problem. Is that on one hand the trans folks have their little list of grievances, and on the other hand the the feminists have their list of grievances, and then the people of color have their lists of grievances, and all those grievances are the most important grievances. Yes, that's why they're always at each other's throats. Right. You know, and they cannot get along because, in some cases, the grievances grieve each other. So, yeah. you know, you have the liberals wanting to welcome the Muslims, but the Muslims are like, "Hey, um, you're gay folks, and you're feminists, and you know all these things. We just can't live with that part." And well, that's always funny to me. I, I like this. I would agree. Yeah, as a how trans did person, that even happen. What's that? The, 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 the bedfellows, the Muslims, and the Muslims saying, "Well, they're minorities well, well, here he, in the United States, and that's all that matters to the lip. They they are chess pieces no, to no. be moved around on a board." Now, not in the case of uh, Muslims. Muslims used to be uh, dyed in the wool Republicans, all yep. of them. Then nine eleven happened. The Republicans lost their minds. 
lost <laughs> their minds. Yes, they did. And then Muslims are like, whoa, <laughs> you know, like Republicans are saying, let's make it so Muslims can't have mosques and certain too close to the where they blew up the towers because Muslims and towers and whatever the hell they're yicking and yakking about. Right. And surprise, people who feel excluded by you no longer want to vote for you. And, you know, basically... Come 9-11, the Republican Party became the party of uh, old white people uh, because they alienated the Mexicans who voted by and large for George Bush. And they alienated the Muslims who, by and large, voted for George Bush and had voted for pretty much Republicans all along. This is Muslims why we didn't have, have the, these ideas. This is why we have the alt right now is because the Democrats took all of these um, – quote, marginalized groups, all of these minorities at any rate, and it put them into a group. And that left the older white men standing around going, well, everyone else is banding together to acquire political power over us. We have to band together as well. And the people who were like, okay, well, we're all white. We're all cis dudes. We're all straight. Let's band together on that basis. And then suddenly you have the rise of the alt-right, Donald Trump calling Mexicans drug dealers and rapists, doing all the things that Donald Trump, you know, does. So I'm of the opinion that the Muslims didn't want to go to the Democrats because they liked the Democrats. They went to the Democrats because they had no place else to go. And that if Republicans could figure out how to be more inclusive without being, um, you know, yeah, basically, you know, you don't compromise your principles on economics or anything like that. Of course, Republicans are just lying about their principles on economics. Just stop being bigots. Right. Basically. Well, that's the issue. Nobody would believe them now if they were to do that. Yeah, it would take a generation to undo it. 855-450-3733. Let us know what you think about man spreading and the whole divisiveness culture being peddled across the world. 855-450-3733. This 855-450-free as in free. This is Free Talk Live, talk radio that you control. That number is 855-450-3733. Again, that's 855-450-FREE, as in Free Talk Live. With you tonight, it's Aria. Michael. And Mark. I want to tell you about Bitcoin.com. Bitcoin.com is, well, it's the place to go to find out about cryptocurrency. It looks like cryptocurrency has gotten volatile again. People are making money in, in it. So, uh, you know, you'll probably be hearing more. I know you've heard that Bitcoin was dead, and I know you've uh, heard that multiple times. So here we are. Um, it's risen again. Go to Bitcoin.com because they can, you can get the best news. You can get uh, started. They have the Get Started link right there at the top. You can learn about Bitcoin Cash and cryptocurrencies and all the things you need to know. Get a wallet. Get some. Actually, once you get the wallet, you can actually get a little free crypto to get started with. And you can buy cryptocurrencies and those sorts of things. And they have a new program they've rolled out called Local.Bitcoin.com. Aria, you've had some success with this. I am in love with it. (laughs) Local.Bitcoin.com is probably the best thing to ever happen to me. It's it's allowed you to start your own little cottage industry. Yeah, I just happen to be at the right place at the right time. Really, and with the right idea for people who are interested in that idea. It's a great exchange. It's private. It's secure. Uh, It has a very low threshold of scammers. You know, you go to that other site, and probably 50% of the people I've encountered were scammers versus local.bitcoin.com, where it's extraordinarily rare. And they get weeded out eventually. I've had to file disputes with um, 
various traders, and the arbitrators were fair and reasonable and quick to respond, but fair, so they weren't just going to make a rash decision. The whole thing is just awesome. I would highly recommend people check it out. Local.bitcoin.com. That's the new new project. And we've been talking about manspreading and the divisive culture among the left in general. Yeah, I remember when I had never heard the term manspreading. Those were the good old days. (laughs) Now I know all about this stuff. Uh, Manspreading, mansplaining, manstuff. I'm more familiar with mansplaining than manspreading. I mean, I know what manspreading is, but as far as various issues throughout the world, mansplaining is the one that I hear brought up more frequently. To the extent where if you're a man, you you can't say anything. Right. Well, that's that's basically what it what come what it comes down to is, is that it's a way to say, shut up. I don't like who you are in the world. It's it's identity politics all over again. But, you know, I I. It, the the term has parlance, and it's probably because some guy is trying to explain something on, on a pretty regular basis to some gal, <laughs> and they don't like it. Well, who likes to be told that they're Let wrong Let me explain what something. mansplaining is, because then we'll have a meta-mansplaining. It'll be a man-splaining, a man-mansplaining, mansplaining. Okay. So mansplaining is when a man explains to a woman what is the truth about a particular issue. <laughs> Especially... I love how weighted that definition was. <laughs> Isn't that what it is? I would say mansplaining is a man explaining to a woman his opinion on a particular subject that uh, she already knows about. I don't well, have that she an may opinion. Or may not I don't know have about. opinions. I have. Uh, I, I know the truth. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, seriously. I can't argue with that level of conviction. Right. <laughs> like here's here's a little piece of truth. Here's a little mansplaining for you. Yeah, you successfully mansplained. Yeah, man- I got no problem with it. Uh, with it. Yeah, mansplaining um, it is is just another sort of terminology in the uh, the the feminist uh, you know war book uh, where you know this idea that men and women should be equal um, viewed equally under the law, which is like almost nobody disagrees with. Right. Is somehow perverted into all men are bad and need to be sorry for what they have done. Well, we've seen this repeatedly, and I think it's just human nature that, you know, okay, so sure, in the past, uh, men did some screwed up things toward women. Sure. If we want to explain it that way, yes. But men have done some screwed up things towards men, too. Sure. Screwed up things have and will continue to occur, have occurred and will continue to. Right. But women, uh, they campaigned for equality and then largely achieved equality and then realized, you know what, this isn't enough. We have to actually seek out vengeance. We have to avenge our four, our four mothers or whatever. Mm-hmm. We, saw, we see it in the LGBT community as well. Can you we, explain some of the vengeance to me? Well, they want the political power. They want men to shut up. They want men to be forced to sit, into uncomf- sit in uncomfortable chairs on the subway they want men to be the ones who are having to stand, sit in the back of the bus, so to speak, while the women get to s- sit at the front. But, but women have generally had chairs. I mean, sure. men, men have done a reasonably good job in this life of making sure that women had places to sit and doors that they couldn't open opened for them. But those now the funny part to came me, with very high costs. To me, the funny part is... I mean, women have only been able to vote for less than a century. Sure. But... You say that, but let at the same time, how many households uh, are men and women voting differently? I don't know whether or not that's just make a guess relevant. It sure it is because in every household that women uh, that women existed, they couldn't vote. 
So all the households, all the women couldn't vote. Right. So presumably there was about one vote per household, and it was had by the men. In most households that I'm familiar with, well, and their the men and women, year old son, right? Their 18 year old son at was was that so at, in the early 1900s? Now it would have been their 21 year old son. Okay. So the 18 year olds didn't get the vote until the 1960s. Okay. Um, so and, and at one point it was landowners too, but the early Democrats under uh, like Jackson, uh, you know, very early Democrats wanted people right. who didn't own land to be able to vote, and that's fine, whatever. But what I'm saying is, is that the majority of households people vote the same way in the household. So giving everybody in the household, just um, everybody in every household, a vote, just really largely increases the number of votes, not the um, changing the outcome very much. Now, I would agree in a lot of cases, but and I realized that a lot of things were happening during the 20th century simultaneously, like Rosie the Riveter, women going out into the workforce, acquiring jobs, securing their own way in the world. So for the most part, throughout this history, women just didn't have the capabilities because of all sorts of social forces that were not exclusively the fault of men. They didn't have the capability to go out and get their jobs and be single women making their way in the world like they do now. Sure. Um, if they had existed in that time, those 25-year-old women being secretaries or whatever would not have been allowed to vote. Correct. 25-year-old women being secretaries would not have been able to vote. But prior to the women's suffrage movement, there weren't a lot of right. 25-year-old single women secretaries. So, And I don't know if that's really the fault of men or not. I just know that the way it was written, uh, it was the men were allowed to vote. It wasn't one household per vote. It was the man of the household got a vote. Correct. And the presumption here is, is that the men, and women, the men and women in the household didn't talk about politics. And I don't think that's true. Maybe if the women, if women wanted to talk about politics, they probably talked it with their husbands about it. And presumably if they had a good relationship, what I would call a healthy relationship – the man took that in consideration, probably changed his mind, and his uh, vote went a different direction. Or maybe that was his feeling on it uh, you know, all along. I have no idea, but I don't think that the uh, women's suffrage movement really did that much for women. I, it did a lot for throwing people in jail for alcohol, right? Like, let's not forget that the women's suffrage movement was very closely related with prohibition. Like, these two things are totally together. Interesting. Women wanted to, to be further. able to vote and for men not to drink. We have to get further into that because I'm not aware of the connection there. I don't dispute you or anything like that. I just want to learn more about it. So let's get into that. If you have thoughts on the subject, subject let us know this. 855-450-3733. Again, it's 855-450-FREE, as in freedom. Or use the Discord caller lines, which you can find at discord.lrn.fm. Bitcoin.com has launched a trading platform at local.bitcoin.com, allowing you to buy or sell Bitcoin cash via dozens of payment methods like PayPal, Venmo, bank deposit, remittances, or meeting in person with cash. There are no ID requirements to sign up for and use the site, and all communications between buyers and sellers are encrypted. Finally, a global trading platform that respects your privacy. Visit local.bitcoin.com to get started trading Bitcoin cash. Local.bitcoin.com it's free talk live take control of the airwaves 855-450-3733 with you tonight it's aria michael and mark and we've been talking about feminism and the the perils of Feminism throughout the last several decades, at least. Um, but Mark insists that, you know, well, he d 
hasn't insisted yet because nobody's disagreed with him. But he's saying that, you know, the, uh, the women's suffrage movement was largely tied to prohibition. And is that what you, what you would call first wave feminism, the suffrage movement and, you know, that kind of thing? Yes. Ladies get, getting out of the workforce. Well, I'm not sure. I just know that third wave feminism is where you'll find the turfs and the whole mansplaining and manspreading nonsense at. I don't know what defines first wave or second wave. I'm not sure that I consider manspreading to be nonsense. I think that this may be one of the better complaints that they have. It just doesn't touch most women's lives because I think that the people that write feminist articles tend to be women who live in cities. The thing about manspreading cities with public transportation is that the thing about manspreading is that I have not heard about manspreading outside the context of of the london underground the new york city subway and yep. things like that and it's uh, i've seen pictures of this it's like a guy sits down and he spreads his legs so far he takes up three seats yep and i've that's seen it it's a legitimate complaint i think it's a legit complaint i think that it because it is a com- because it's complaint about something that does not affect right it's projected out into the world as see Men are a problem well, when he, the he, vast majority of us are not dealing with this. I can I sit in my own chairs most of the, my life, not in public transportation chairs, yeah. and so I don't really think about this at all. But if I was standing there, I'd be like, I, I'd just sit down. I'd say, excuse me, and I'd sit down. But yeah. then you've got the problem of somebody touching your leg that you don't want touching it, I guess. Well, um, that's, that's technically for me, not a aggression. Problem. I don't think it is. But Is it aggression? I would technically sure. If I sit next to a guy, if somebody touches me without my consent, they are committing aggression against me. It just depends upon the extent to which they've touched me. Not if you go into a place where touching is expected. And okay, fair. Um, so if you, you know, if you, if it's reasonable to presume when you sit next to a plane, um, next to a guy on a plane, that your two legs are going to touch. Once like, in a while, yeah. That happens. No, no. I, it, it, I mean, when I'm on a plane, oh, I flight. often find that my leg is just touching the other guy's leg. And you know what? It doesn't bother me. I've, I, you know, it's just in the, it's a time and a place where two guys with pants on, you know, their legs are touching. I don't think I'd be comfortable with it if we're both sitting in shorts. But since we both have pants on, yeah, you know, whatever. I just, I'll notice it. Oh, that's happening. Okay. And then I go on with life. Because I guess it's I, I think that men physically are more likely to do a little bit of spreading. I get it. Plus, socially, women have been told their whole lives, ladies, you must keep your legs together. Otherwise, he's going to try to find the promised land or whatever. I can't weigh in on that. I was not raised as a little girl. No. So I don't know what little girls were taught. No. But I don't think this is an issue about sex at all. And I think making it an issue about sex or gender, however we wish to characterize it, is probably doing a disservice to the actual issue of people sitting down on the spreadway subway and spreading their legs too wide. (laughs) Because now we have women who are doing it in retaliation. This is not fixing the problem. It's exacerbating it. Now you have both sexes doing it. So let's make it about, hey, don't be a jerk. Don't be inconsiderate of your fellow human beings, regardless of what's between your legs. Yeah, I think that if, um, I mean, you know, sometimes people just aren't paying attention and that's okay. You just got to tell them, hey, you know, I'd like to sit down or whatever. And then, oh, sure. Is it possible for someone to take up three seats on a subway? Yeah, what level of not paying attention is this? Yeah. 
I think some people put their uh, gear on the subway seat or whatever, and they're not paying attention to this. This is so- certainly something that uh, you know women are just probably guilty of as men, if not more. And um, yeah, as all I you got to do is say, "I'd like to sit down." If we're going to do this, let's talk about the overwhelming tendency of women to set their massive purses on the conveyor belts at checkouts and stores, preventing other people from putting their groceries, their purchases that they're attempting to make onto that conveyor belt. Never experienced it. You've never experienced that. I don't go through a lot of either. Yeah. My wife does my grocery shopping because I'm a sexist. I have seen it probably, (laughs) I I don't know, uh, probably 90% of the time I see a middle-aged or above woman going through a checkout. She's going to slap her purse right there on the conveyor belt. I don't see it because I go through the self-checkout. Well, I do too because I'm antisocial. But mm. they, those aren't offered everywhere. You know, that's only Walmart, really. Yeah. I don't like the Hannah self-checkout heard. because uh, when you get produce, it's you got to punch it in and all that stuff. I don't want to do that. So men have to stand there holding their stuff. or having Because men, if somebody's going into Walmart to buy like five items, it's more than likely going to be a man. He's not going to stop to push around a stupid cart. He's either going to grab a handheld basket or he's just going to grab the items and lug them around the store. Right. A woman's not going to do that. So if somebody's going to be standing there holding their junk, waiting to be able to set it down, it's going to be a man. And if somebody's taking up more space than is necessary, it's going to be a woman with her stupid purse as she digs through the 40-pound bag looking for her debit card or her checkbook or whatever. Like she didn't really know she was about to go into the store and needed to spend money. You know those things are larger on the inside, right? It's like a bag of holding. I have one. I'm, I'm very well aware of that. <laughs> yes. The, you, you can fit a lot more into them than you would expect. Yep. But still, when I'm about to go into a store and I know I'm going to be spending money, I don't leave my money buried down at the bottom of my purse. I go, oh, I'm about to need this. I don't want to make the people behind me wait for five minutes while I dig through this black hole. Well, that's just being considerate. Yes, and if somebody's going to be inconsiderate at one of these checkouts, it's going to be a woman with her purse. Okay. So let's address that at the same time as we're addressing them. But let's talk about the chair that this feminist has made. Yeah, because we haven't gotten to that. That's funny. (laughs) So uh, a feminist designer named Layla Laurel has unveiled an anti-man spreading chair that forces its male occupants to sit with their legs closed. Wait, it forces the male occupants to sit with her? What does it do to female occupants? Well, we'll get to that. Miss Laurel, 23, a University of Brighton graduate, created the... Now, she had to go to college to do this. And the chair does not look like it was designed by anybody above the age of 11. Hmm. I mean, it looks uncomfortable. It's, it looks more like a table. Then it does a chair. It doesn't look like she spent a lot of time with like a lot of machinery or whatever. No, it's got zero aesthetic appeal to it whatsoever. I'd agree. So she says, you know, it seems like a universal issue. This is her final. This is part of her final year project for college, by the way. Oh, my. I don't think it's an act of conscious sexism, but even sitting can be a political problem. Women are taught to take up less space in public. I don't know if that's true or not. I, I, don't I, know I would assume it is because I've never heard otherwise. So women are taught to take up less space. I'm not sure what she means when she says that. I think women are taught to keep their legs closed because people will, men um, specifically, will spend time trying to look up their skirts. Um, and that's not being taught to take up less space. That's, be, that's taught, you know, modesty. Well, it's 
but it is by extension being taught to take up less space. I understand, space. right, that's but that's what I'm result. saying. The, the, end, the result is that, but that's not what it's, they're being taught. They're being taught modesty not to take up less space. Like, what she's saying here is, is that, how come we're taught to take up less space? No, you're taught to modesty, and the result is taking up less space. So bear- I mean, you, no, one, no one says that you can't eat enough to be 500 pounds. Will sure. there be consequences, social consequences? Yes. So let's attempt to describe this chair for people who aren't seeing it. Uh, it's triangular shaped, and it's angled from the back so that it's thinner at the front than it is at the back. As you would expect, it sort of yep. has these bars or these ridges, these edges that force your legs, if you were to stupidly sit down on one of right, these chose to together thing. rather than open. And it looks like it was made out of leftover barstool remnants, and it has a back that probably goes up just to your lower middle back and it looks a like a luxurious it's, four or five inches <laughs> it looks like it's the most uncomfortable thing anyone could ever choose to sit on it is a torture a device, modern torture this, device. Is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is your modern judas cradle in fact <laughs> what is that oh i, I can't describe we'll that explain on it here shortly 855-450-3733 This is Free Talk Live, talk radio that you control. Give us a call. Let us know what's on your mind. 855-450-3733. That's 855-450-FREE, as in Free Talk Live. And with you tonight, it's Aria. Michael. Oh, sorry. I need audio here. And Mark. (laughs) Hey, want to tell you about My Magic Mud. Right now, it's still Prime Amazon Prime Day, Prime Days. I don't know what they're calling it now. It's more than one day, so I guess Prime Days. And you can save fifty percent off of My Magic Mud. So, what is My Magic Mud? It is a black tooth powder that removes stains from your teeth, and in my opinion, just makes them feel generally cleaner than toothpaste does. And I think it's a great product. I won't be without it. It's awesome. I've packed my stuff to go to Freedom Fest, including my my Magic Mud regular toothpaste. I won't bring the black powder because I'm only going to be gone for five days. I could live without it for that long. Uh, but I am going to bring the toothpaste that they have. They have all kinds of options. There you go, MyMagicMud.com. You can see the vast array of things they have. And they also sell them at Amazon. And right now, because it's Prime Days, you can save 50% off. Uh, through, I guess it's about midnight today. It says July 15th, so I presume it's midnight today. Um, and they're asking for reviews. So please give them some positive reviews if you feel positively about the project. MyMagicMud.com. So the toothpaste I'm gathering is some sort of qualitatively different from ordinary toothpaste, but it isn't as, I guess, extensive as the powder stuff. Yeah, I think it's supposed to sort of extend the value of the powder stuff. Um, but, you know, it's activated charcoal in the powder. That's so, so amazing. The, I, I cannot imagine, you know, what sort of spark in their in their heads had to have existed for them to go, let's take this benzonite or whatever it was. Benzonite and, clay, yeah. Yeah, and charcoal and clean our teeth with it and find it to be effective. It was just a mom. Um, it's uh, Jessica Armand is her name. And she had some dental problems with her kids. They couldn't use certain products and they're, of course, having, uh, you know, teeth issues and, and that kind of thing. So she came up with something to solve her problems at her house and it worked so well and she was so happy about it 
that she then went on and decided to market the product from there. That is absolutely amazing. Well, we've been talking about things that women have invented that are not quite as amazing. Right. Number one among those lists is this chair that uh, it it just looks absolutely awful. Um, I, I don't want to spend any more time describing it, but there is also the female version that has no railings on the side. Right. So the, tra- the but the it's chair angled sort of, the opposite way. Right. It's sort of a triangular shape. It's really more of a. a- quadrilateral i guess but it's uh what is it when maybe like a well if it finished off it would be a, a triangle it would be but yeah, yeah it's and it's four-sided not three. they have in you know in, in the men's case it sort of funnels their legs down into a little uh uh you know make, makes them stick their little knees together and whereas in the women's case it forces them to spread which is well that's the thing it doesn't it doesn't the, no there are no rails on the female version Hold on. What is you, that you, thing in the middle? You are still correct. Well, yeah, there is the thing in the middle. There's a little wedge that keeps their supposedly keeps their legs apart. Let me put it this way then. There is a lot more room for maneuverability in the female chair than there is in the male chair. Yes, you could uh, sit on the female chair in easier ways, I, I guess. You could sit it sideways and it wouldn't be as much of a problem. But. So what's what's to prevent a man from sitting in the so-called female chair? I uh, uh, Well... The wedge being there, I think the intention behind it is parts of his body preventing him from sitting there. Oh, I see. If spreading is bad behavior, and that's what I am to presume um, when we talk about it being manspreading, then why would you want to, as a feminist, incentivize women to spread? Well, that's exactly it, because it's not about... You know, actually freeing up space on the bus. Uh, it's not about allowing men and women to sit equally. It may have used to be about that. But what's what the goal here is, is to punish men, is to make men endure. And I use that word loosely. What women had to endure for the past several decades. So. I, this is the part that this is the part that I just don't understand. Are these people that hate men? Or are they these people that want to subjugate men? Like they're weird dominatrixes, basically. Because this, that's where you have to have gone. I would gone. say it's probably both. It sounds like a mix of both, possibly. Because no man is going to buy this chair. The men, <laughs> the men that buy this chair deserve <laughs> to be uncomfortable. No one's buying this chair. This doesn't even solve the problem. You you don't have man spreading in a random chair sitting in the in the right in the studio here right if i'm if if my legs were spread in a in an un uh, you know it, it, too far here in this this chair in this studio it wouldn't affect no one anyone would care no it, this this, but, this is this is a problem in public transit on subways and buses and th- these seats will not be in th- these seats wouldn't even work oh i don't agree with that assessment at all Oh, yeah, they could totally make a, a seat. They could make, at the very least, they could make a seat that just has sort of more of a lip on the edge where you sit. But yeah. then, you know, it's then it's not fair to fat people. But you have cities like San Francisco, New York, Seattle, all of these liberal strongholds where I could easily see seats like these being pushed through by the city council as a replacement for the seats on the bus and the subway. Well... I think that I could maybe that's the case. I don't know the answer to that, but I think that comes with its own set of problems. So if an obese person 
Why not just segregate? I mean, if we're going to do this, I mean, why not just segregate men and women? Women are allowed to sit in this part of the subway. Men are allowed to sit in this part of the subway. Because it's uh, because it's unfair to give women pink seats and men blue seats. It's unfair to everyone, but that's ultimately <laughs> what this is. It's just on a minor scale. Let's segregate which chairs men are allowed to sit in and which chairs women are allowed to sit in. It's still divisive nonsense, just as bad, 100% just as bad. As saying women must sit in this part of the bus. Black people have to sit in that part of the bus. Trans people, they're not allowed on the bus. If, it's just as bad. If I wanted to give my seat, if, if we have uh, you know a men only and a women only section, uh, can I give my seat to a pregnant woman at that point? What if there's more women on my particular car than men, and you know all the women's seats are taken up or well, something? History would suggest that no. If your water fountain back in the uh, pre whatever word I'm looking for, South, back in the, the 1970s. only water fountain. Yeah. If your white water fountain was, you know, nobody was standing in line waiting on it, you were just chilling there next to it, and there was a line of 30 black people waiting on the colored's fountain, yep. you wouldn't be able to say, hey, you look really thirsty, come use this fountain. Right. Because then you would be going to jail. You would be breaking the law. You would I be, doubt it. Well, maybe, <laughs> yeah, probably not. I but think he, the, the, other the social guy convention would, would would go after the black person because yeah. they had stepped out of line certainly. in that case. I would just be a moron. So in this case, either the man or the woman, one of the two parties, would be stepping out of line. But that's going to be the case with these chairs as well. If they manage to make their way into any sort of public transportation, if a woman sits down in the men's chair, or totally allowable. But if a man sits down in the woman's chair, no. He's getting fined. He's getting a ticket. Worst case scenario, he may in fact be going to jail. It depends on how far they want to push this. But it's it's the same segregationist nonsense. Well, most of the handicap spots, most of, most of the time, handicap spots are enforced by social convention, as opposed to um, you know somebody going around and writing tickets for somebody who doesn't have a handicap placard. I, I'm thinking about this because today I used a handicap parking space, although I don't have a handicap placard. Okay. And the reason is, is that I was driving my friend who's at the nursing home and uses a walker. Um, he wanted to pick up his photos from the photo uh, mart on Main Street. I don't know why this is what he does, but this is what he does. So I can't I, – th- there's no way for me, me to drop him off in the middle of Main Street. I have to use a handicapped spot, and then I have to get out and go and you know help him on to, up, up over the curb. I have to help him into the uh, into the door and do a variety of things. I have to do it. Now it makes it feels really weird because I don't have permission from uh, the people in the government who who hand out these things. But if I'm if I I figure if he comes walking back in his walker, that the cop will uh, probably just tear up the ticket. That's my guess. I would think so. I mean, especially once they, you know, actually see that you may not be handicapped. The owner of the vehicle may not be, but you're clearly assisting someone who is. So I don't think that I mean, but that wasn't the case with um, more collectivist crap like the segregation, the the racism, the sexism and things like that. Right. Which was people, the case people actually were ticketed and the cops didn't just tear the tickets up. The judges didn't just throw the tickets out sure. and release the they enforced their rules. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's ultimately what we're going to see here. It's it's not good. I don't think this is the proper solution. I'd, you shouldn't need your own specific chair based on what is between your legs or based on what you present yourself as, whatever. If manspreading is a problem, and I'm willing to concede that it is, I don't think that this is the solution. I think that this is the solution for a liberal college student at a liberal college to get an A on their report, their final report in design class, though. So good for her. 
855-450-3733. Hey, everyone. This is Charlie Shrem. You've seen me on the Netflix documentary, Banking on Bitcoin, and the new best-selling book, Bitcoin Billionaires. I want to invite you to join me on my new show, Untold Stories, for a deep dive into crypto history with the people who made that history. Together, we'll explore the personalities and events that gave rise to Bitcoin and the crypto revolution, the innovation, the collaboration, the battles, and the busts. You'll have a front row seat to the early days of crypto up to today, and you'll hear from the folks who lived through it and survived to drive this movement mainstream. Untold Stories looks back to reveal what inspired some of the greatest minds on Earth to come together to create this technology and change the future for everyone. So join me and my guests, the techies and the traders, the entrepreneurs and the innovators, as we explore our past and understand what that means for the future. Listen now on UntoldStories.com. That's UntoldStories.com. This is Free Talk Live, talk radio that you control. Take control of the airwaves and tell us whatever is on your mind. That number is 855-450-3733. Again, that's 855-450-FREE. It is in Free Talk Live. With you tonight, it's Aria. Michael. And Mark. And we're going to move on now to a story about Germany deciding that Windows 10 and Office 365 are not welcome in their schools. Michael, do you have that pulled up in front of you? I do not have that pulled up. Well, evidently, Microsoft has run afoul of the GDPR, which I don't remember what that stands for, but that's the whole privacy The crap general data they... protection uh, regulations. It's this whole new... I'm uh... concerned that you know what that acronym stands for. He's in the business. <laughs> I, well, it's kind of my, my day job to know what these things stand for. It's this whole... Uh new regulatory regime in the EU where you basically have to go to pretty extreme measures to uh, so-called protect the privacy of of, uh, visitors to your website or or users of your product or whatever. Well, that's... And and, I mean, that's good if private companies opted to do it of their own volition. It's not so good when the government attempts to do it. Well, the, what, the gov- what happens with the government attempt- putting down regulations is that maybe a regulation is a great idea, but it always has these un- unintended consequences, and you never and the government doesn't care what the cost is. So, for instance, um, one of them, one of the we used to have, yeah, we still do. Yeah, there's a there is a uh, web forum. For free talk live, you, I, I don't remember what it is, but it has. Is to, it the Shire Society one? Yeah, the Shire Society. Yeah, uh, that's ShireSociety.com. You Shire, can join yeah. the forum there, right? And then there's a segment for free talk live, there. right? And you can go there and you post whatever you want to post. And we used to have a very busy BBS before Facebook came along and killed all B, uh, BBSs or you know message board, right? Yep. And it was very busy. And you know what? Sometimes people posted some things that weren't safe for work. And Giggity. maybe they have uh, <laughs> naughty pictures or maybe they just have opinions that suck or whatever it is that uh, was, was on there. It was on there. Now, we d- did our ve- level best not to censor it. Then we had to come to the, like there's a censored section and a censored section. But largely people censored themselves. 
But if the government well, decides good. that, well, w- the things that are posted on our web uh, page are our responsibility, even though they're posted by other people, well, now what? Now I've got to hire – in order to run a message board, I have to hire somebody to watch my message board. Well, it's not worth it. No, it certainly isn't. Uh, and it's probably th- – this is a really idiotic move from Germany. Uh, you cannot use a PC – from well, you could not use a PC from the 2016 to, to mid 2018 range without your computer almost forcing you to upgrade to Windows 10. Yeah, doing That's it very true. best. They got really aggressive with that stuff. Even on Windows 7, they got really uh, they they'd pop the thing up on your screen where you had to uh, upgrade or or cancel the upgrade or or put it off for a week or whatever. And then they switched it around so where if you hit the button, it would start the upgrade instead of putting it off yeah they did a lot of really shady things and i was doing a lot of it work at the time and i i had to live this nonsense live for it I'd bricked one ca- of my computers i get calls every single morning from clients hey one of our computers upgraded to windows 10 overnight we need this undone it was good for my business because oh that's a 115 dollars reformat reinstall but it was a huge hassle and if Microsoft didn't have the enormous edge in the computing world that they already have, and I know Chris Wade of Think Penguin would go, well, that, that's an illusion because routers run Linux. But we're talking computers here. We're talking end-user yeah. devices. And yeah. Microsoft absolutely has the edge on that. If they didn't, this would have absolutely destroyed them. Windows 10 is great once you turn off all of the data mining features because that's why it was given to you for free. So just they, like yeah. just like Google Chrome and there just is. like Facebook, it's selling you. You uh, become the product. There and is. Microsoft 10 has Windows 10 has all of these telemetrics built into it that can be turned off if you are an IT person and you know what you're doing. Or you well, just, I don't. There's a, there's a script you can download that, there, that will do that. But. There are, but in order to run some of these scripts uh, or to even know how to run some of these scripts – you have to have a, a basic level of IT knowledge. Well, you have to be able to find PowerShell, which is yeah, what it I, is. You have to be able I, to follow directions. I, I, yeah, but experience tells me the average person I didn't even can't. know that I had to. So that's uh, <laughs> what you're dealing with here. Is just, you're like, well, maybe I could do it, Michael, but I don't didn't even know I had to do it. What Ari is saying makes perfectly good sense that – um, you know, giving away Windows 10 wasn't a move by Microsoft to get ubiquity. It was a move by Microsoft to mine data. Yeah, it's it's all about getting your data. That's that's true. Windows 10, there's so much telemetry telemetry that it sends back, and uh, you can only turn off about 90% of it. Yep. Yeah, some of it's still going to get back. And then you have applications. You have the programs running within Microsoft that are doing exactly the same things. The reason I hate EA's origin, EA is a video game company, and yep. origin is a storefront for their video games the reason i hate it so much is because about a year ago they forced you to put your save files into the cloud no way to turn it off whatsoever i don't want ea to be able to get whatever information they want just to be able to play a video game that i bought and paid for just like i don't want microsoft to be able to know how often i open microsoft word or how often i just click notepad they want that information, sure, because they want to know where to slap their stupid ads to most effectively target me. Mm. But I don't want them to know that. And Google Chrome, same thing has happened with it. It was a beautiful, beautiful web browser for about a year after it first released. And then it just took over the Internet. Firefox basically died. Internet Explorer finally finished dying. Netscape, of course, long dead. 
Opera Long Dead. Google Chrome came along and it was just this beautiful, seamless, fast, efficient, sleek web browser. Everyone loved it. And then it just grew and grew and grew. And now it's Google is the most. That's all the problems that the web browser was made to solve, meaning that it was big and slow. You open Google Chrome now and it immediately launches like 15 processes in your task manager. Why is all of this necessary for me to go to YouTube and watch a video? Which, by the way, is going to attempt to serve me ads unsuccessfully because I'm going to install NoScript and Adblock and Ghostery. See, I don't um, install... So Adblock is really good for some websites with, that have all this crap on them uh, that's sort of mally and bad. But sure. to me, I don't want to have to use Adblock because when I go to a website, I want to see the ads they're, they're showing me because I understand why I'm there. Like, you know, they're providing me whatever content they're providing me because some people will come and click on that article about, you know, one weird fruit you can uh, eat to lose weight or whatever the hell it is um, (laughs) that they've got out there. And to me, you know, everything's got to be paid for and advertising is the price I pay for going to a site. So I don't like Adblock. The ads are how websites pay the bills. And and I've made money from ads on websites. So I I understand both sides of this because I I run ad blocking. I have never run an ad on any of my websites. And the reason is because I don't think the end user fully appreciates what they're getting into when they they get involved with these trackers and advertisements and things like that. Um, There are companies like Google and Facebook that know almost everything there is to know about you. To the extent that it's quite common to see people online talking about, I swear, Facebook just read my mind. There, oh, was yeah. a, there was a fly going around out here, and I thought, how nice would it be if I just had a fly swatter? And suddenly they were served an ad for a fly swatter. I don't think Facebook is reading your mind. No, that would be, uh, that, that's impossible. There's a persistent rumor going around that Facebook activates the microphone on your phone, though. It, they deny it, and it, it may not be true, but... It's it goes around. Wasn't there the Amazon air conditioning service that was doing exactly that? They had a microphone built into it and they weren't supposed to or it was supposed to be turned off or non-functional. Mm. But oops, we accidentally left that functional and we're recording everything you said in your house. Oh, yeah. If you got an Amazon device in your house, you can pretty much be sure it's always listening. Doesn't everybody who has a phone have an Amazon device? I mean, I mean, yeah, it may not be from Amazon. Standalone but devices. Yeah. I mean, yeah, well, sure. Your phone is constantly but, listening. What is the difference, though? If you've got a phone and you said, oh, sure, Facebook, you can use my uh, microphone and you can use my camera and you can do those things, then haven't you just given them permission to spy on you? Well, if you don't give them permission and, and, and they do it anyway, then you've got a problem. 855-450-3733. Let us know what you think about the Internet and privacy and how these things interrelate. 855-450-3733. This is Free Talk Live. Take control of the airwaves. Tell us whatever is on your mind. 855-450-3733. With you tonight, it's Aria, Michael, and Mark. I want to tell you about Alpha Male 2.0. So here's some awesome guy stuff. Do you feel stuck in a job or relationship or both? Caleb Jones has taught hundreds of thousands of men how to create low work, high-income, location-independent businesses, and how to date women under your terms. 2.0 alpha males have learned how to break free and, have, and how to truly live. 
Shouldn't you be able to do whatever you want, whenever you want, and not have to ask permission or answer to anyone? To date whomever you want, even if you're already in a relationship. Yeah, my wife isn't going for that. Caleb's point, living in a free society isn't going to help you much if your life isn't free. Visit freelifeinfo.com and download the Alpha Male 2.0 starter pack for free. Included are seven free books and podcasts so that you can start living a truly free life right now. The Alpha Male 2.0 Starter Pack will show you the exact strategies Caleb and his team use together uh, to get better with uh, women, increase their income and personal freedom and happiness. Get your free Alpha Male 2.0 Starter Pack at freelifeinfo.com. Freelifeinfo.com. I absolutely have to check this out. At some point tonight, I have talked to the guy <laughs> and he is very engaging. He's I do not doubt that at all. Very interesting to uh, to listen to and those sorts of things. And uh, I, you know, at the very least, I think he's probably putting on a pretty good podcast. <laughs> and I'm intrigued by the location independent business part. I've got the relationship thing handled or, or my wife does or one of us does. I'm not sure who, but. That's, it's handled it, at any rate. It's that that's somebody else's uh, might be very interested in that, and as I understand it, that's the relationship that he has, and he can, at the very least, explain it to you. Very cool. I'm I'm looking forward to checking that out. Let's get right into the phones. We've got Brody calling in from Clinton, Utah. Brody, you're on Free Talk Live. Hey guys, uh, I was calling in about something else, and I remembered while I was holding that there was something else I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, so what I want to talk about is I think there's only two freedoms that really matter. I don't know if you all agree with me on this Let's or not, see. but it occurred to me it occurred to me why Ron Paul was so against the Federal Reserve, and I really think I've come to the conclusion that the only freedoms that really matter is monetary freedom and banking freedom, and because he who controls the money has the power. Right. Yeah, I think that that um, I have, you know, it's, I've long, uh, for a long time, considered the Federal Reserve to be the most important issue uh, when it comes to liberty. But it's very difficult to get other people to agree with me on that particular issue, and it's extraordinarily well entrenched, and it's a boring topic for well, most people. You know, I, I, yeah, I think even Ron Paul has said before that all freedoms ultimately derive from economic freedom. So if you don't have, uh, if you don't have economic freedom because you're tied to the U.S. dollar or uh, the Federal Reserve has control over your finances, then uh, what other freedoms do you have? Yeah, I see. see I would go even further that. and would say that economic freedom is the only freedom because I look at it in the Rothbardian sense, and he actually got these ideas from somewhere else. But there's essentially two ways to do a thing: there's the economic means, and there's the political means. There's the way of production and the way of parasitism. The economic means is us going about our lives, living in freedom, not being, not having the politics used against us, and. The entirety of human history is a war between these two means. Yeah. That, that's what and it is. The thing that, so the thing is, is I, I posted this on, on some Facebook groups, on libertarian groups, anarchist groups. And one of the libertarian groups, uh, a guy responded and said, well, you can go ahead and make your own currency. And so he, he is correct. the Liberty Dollar. And he said, well, the reason Liberty Dollar failed is because they tried to make it uh, be like a dollar, a U.S. dollar. And so that's where they got them. But 
But I know Liberty Dollar uh, was was really growing, and and I'm I'm not really sure why there isn't a private money in the United States if we can coin our own money. There is Bitcoin. There is Bitcoin Cash. There's Dash. There's Litecoin, Ethereum, Zcash, Horizon. Many many choices. Well, sure. There's there's the digital cash, but why not why not make a coin, uh, you know, out of gold or silver that is based on a, a weight value instead of a some. Uh, arbitrary well, value. You should check out li- online. You should check out Liberty Dollar Two, um, LD Two, I think is what it's what they're going under. I can't remember L- what what the website is off the top of my head. But if you you know, I'm sure you've got a search engine, and uh, you check out sure. Liberty Dollar Two, and you can find out uh, more about what they're doing. But <sighs> isn't it illegal still to own to own coinage that's actually minted in gold and silver? No. Um, Liberty Dollar, the reason, he's right, the reason Liberty Dollar got, uh, well, there's two reasons Liberty Dollar got got. First off, a they had paper money, so there was a place for them to go to get the silver, basically. And, like, I say it all the time, gold is the is called the currency of kings because the kings will ultimately get it all. Um, they're going to take it from you because they want it. Right. And um, that's sort of what happened with the Liberty Dollar is basically the Fed said, huh, they're keeping it. They say it right here on the the note that they keep it at this vault and we're going to go get it. And they went and got it. And Liberty. Okay. So that's problem number one. Problem number two. Yeah. Bernard von Nothaus had a um, promotional video where he appeared to not sufficiently explain his currency to a woman he was. Uh, you know, making a purchase uh, from. Now, this is television, and you don't always know what you're seeing on TV. I mean, right. you know, it turns out that uh, Tom Cruise actually wasn't a samurai in the 1870s. Um, <laughs> Are right? we sure? I, I need a reference on this. So, <laughs> What's your citation? <laughs> in this circumstance, <laughs> you know, maybe the woman knew ahead of time and she was just uh you know playing along with Bernard we have no idea what actually happened but he made a purchase and he said it's the new dollar and you know made the purchase and that was good enough for a jury to say yeah he may not have counterfeited a coin but he represented his coin as though it was a uh, currency and i did this once too i made a purchase at a gas station and i bought some gasoline with a Liberty dollar, it was the $10 silver piece, and it was an ounce of silver at the time. And, well, you know, they were wondering why I was using this coin. They were thinking that maybe I had robbed somebody's, uh, you know, coin collection or something. But I'm saying, I just want uh, people to use, uh, you know, silver coins. And I explained that it was silver, but I didn't explain that it wasn't a government currency. Mm-hmm. And so maybe this lady decided to take it to the bank and uh, the bank re- rejected it. Most of the time, I think what happened with the Liberty dollars is, is that when you bought them, or use them to uh, pay for stuff that the the cashier just bought them right out of the uh, the uh, the bin because oh, yeah. I'm keeping that right. I mean it, it's it's a very unique coin. It's heavy and you know it's an ounce of silver versus the crap that they call coins now. Awesome. I didn't know much about the Liberty Dollar. Always happy to learn new things. I'm not surprised that it failed largely because the government was like, "Ooh, we want that." Too centralized, I think, is what yeah. I think. Eight five five four five zero three seven three three three. Brody, thanks for the call. Uh, always teaching me new things. Again, that's 855-450-3733. Let us know what you think. Or use the Discord call-in lines, which you can find at discord.lrn.fm. 
Is oral health important to you? If you don't like your own teeth, fresh breath, or kissing people, then by all means, stop listening. Several years ago, I met Jessica Armand, founder and CEO of My Magic Mud, and I became passionate about the product that she created and never want to live without it. It's clinically proven to whiten teeth, but I find it does much more. They want you to love My Magic Mud as much as I do, so they're giving you a money-back guarantee plus 20% off. Go to MyMagicMud.com and use coupon code FTL20 at checkout. MyMagicMud.com, FTL20. This is Free Talk Live, talk radio that you control, 855-450-3733. Give us a call. Let us know what you think. Tell us whatever is on your mind. Again, that's 855-450-FREE, as in Free Talk Live. And with you tonight, it's Aria. Michael. And Mark. And Mark, you've got a long trip coming up, don't I you? I do. We're going out to Freedom Fest, taking the red eye. I don't know how I let Ian uh, book that, but I did. And, well going to be lots and lots of fun but it will be fun once we get there but the travel i'm, I'm not looking forward to nonetheless we're heading to freedom fest i've already got my uh, cowboy outfit uh, the the uh, this year's theme is the wild west so i brought a little cowboy outfit ought to be fun actually a couple of them and there's gonna have big names uh, pen Gillette, lenore skenazy candace owens john mackey Grover Norquist, Stephen Moore, Herman Cain, Senator Mike Lee, Kevin Sorbo, Thomas Massey, uh, Justin Amash, John Stossel, Glenn Beck. The names just go on and on. And this will be the last read you're going to hear about Freedom Fest because it's the 17th through the 20th. It's coming up right now. You can still get tickets by going over to freedomfest.com slash FTL. It's freedomfest.com slash FTL. And love to see you out there. I think it's going to be a great time. It's at the Hotel, uh, the Paris, this is what it's called, the Paris. It's in Las Vegas, and it's going to be a lot of fun. It's freedomfest.com slash FTL, and I'm looking forward to seeing you there. Did you say Kevin Sorbo? Like Hercules yeah. Kevin Sorbo? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Interesting. He's a what? pretty he's kind of conservative guy. Is he? Yeah. So, and he doesn't mind telling people on Twitter. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that will do it. Yeah. Uh, apparently, I mean, that's what politicians and politically active people do now. They they take to Twitter because it's always that that phrase. Take yeah. to Twitter. Trump take to took Twitter. to Twitter. Yes. Ocasio-Cortez took to Twitter. So anyway, we've been talking about uh, Germany and the Commissioner for Data Protection and Freedom of Information in the German state. Good Lord, that is quite a name. Declared that Windows 10 and Office 365 are not compliant with the GDPR for use in schools. Okay. The, the issue is related to the telemetry, both cloud What's telemetry. Uh, the, studying people. Okay. Telemetry is the data that the computer sends back to Microsoft. Okay. About you and about what you're doing. Yeah. Pretty much everything that they can get. And they say it ranges from standard software diagnostics to user content from inside applications, potentially sentences from documents and email subject lines. Oh, my. That's that's big. That's really big. That stuff is not supposed to be going back to anywhere, like outside the EU. The GDPR, one of the big things about it is that all the data that you The GDPR is what again? The General Data Protection Regulation. Okay. All the data you process is supposed to stay in the EU. There's there's a few exceptions where you can uh, process it elsewhere, but this this doesn't qualify. 
So their issue is that it's being sent to Microsoft, which is an American company. Right. But if it was being sent to a a European company, they would have no issue with it. They'd have no issue with it at all. So they can't just set up offices in uh, Switzerland? I'm not sure if Switzerland counts as... uh, It's not EU. They they used to do this... uh, As I understand it, they used to have uh, special servers in Ireland, which is part of the EU, that they processed all this data in. And that that made them compliant. So I'm not sure what happened here. Well, it's it's a poor move for the European Union to have such a regulation. Now, they must use some sort of inferior software that is produced in the European Union. Now, ultimately, isn't this a different way of economic protectionism? Isn't yes. this just the Kendall Makers petition yes. happening all over again? Yes. They're like, oh, we will only do business with European countries now. Well, okay, good. Enjoy we your must, crappy European software. We must, uh, we, you know, well, we got we to gotta stop these foreigners from coming in and taking the information from our Europeans will do that. Thanks very much. So previously, Microsoft provided a special version of the software applications which stored the data in European data centers, but recently the permission was rescinded and data was being sent directly to the United States. Oops. Uh, so well, they, so they were them. doing this and then why would they even turn that off though? That doesn't make sense. Well, I mean, permission was rescinded. Presumably they were like, no, you can't have these European data centers anymore. And Microsoft was like, okay, well, screw you. We're going back. We'll just use our American ones, which made Germany go, no, this is our information. <laughs> we're supposed to be stealing this from the people. How dare you, you American company? So the data commissioner, who has a name I'm not going to attempt to pronounce, said that public institutions in Germany have a social responsibility with regard to the permissibility and traceability of the processing of personal data. Sounds a lot like Trump saying that they have a responsibility to the Midwestern farmers who need to buy steel or whatever. So we need to slap tariffs on China. Well, I mean, there there are reasons to, to keep data within the EU if it's personal data. I mean, this is... Uh, they really. This, I, I don't. I, I don't know it's, why it's any kind of well intentioned. But hold on. why would any sort of border board. play into this as being significant? Because if you send that stuff transatlantically, it goes over the nice undersea fiber optic cable, and the NSA swoops, uh, swipes it up. Okay. If you keep yeah, it that's in the definitely EU, a problem. If you keep it in the EU, then, then then most of the time they don't get it. Then Interpol gets it. Well, they get everything. <laughs> well, so does the NSA. Well, the NSA mostly gets uh, long-distance fiber optic cables. So if it's staying in if it's staying in Europe, there's a good chance the NSA won't see it. But it's on the internet. It doesn't matter. It, they, it they does don't have because the entire they, internet. The NSA has access to. I'm, I'm going to say almost anything on the internet that they want access to, and if they don't well, have if they access, want to access to it, but yeah. they probably don't have it. What he's saying is they don't have it wholesale. Okay. So they actually ran a fiber optics cable across the Atlantic. Yeah, they've they've got well they've got tapped they tapped into it at uh, uh, the Atlantic cable. I think they're tapped in uh, actually in the UK. So everything that travels transatlantically is being monitored by the NSA. Right. Interesting. They've, Does well, anything? They, they got the tap in San Francisco that that made news in two thousand five. The do you remember that the AT and T building that that. Uh, I don't know if you remember that or not, but I hadn't even graduated high school at that point. Oh. Okay, <laughs> the, yeah. This uh, is there AT- a Trans-Pacific line? There is. There are Trans-Pacific lines, and uh, there's a big AT and T office in San Francisco where where all those lines come in, and they get the NSA has a tap there. It's a humongous tap that splits everything off. So Trans-Pacific and transatlantic traffic, right? 
Okay. So this is true. Out of the U.S., the NSA is getting it one way or the other. Interesting. I was not aware of this. I I can't say I'm terribly surprised, but that's definitely alarming. I mean, there are no satellite connections or anything like that. It's all internet traffic outside of the United States travels through one of these two pipes. Yeah, most of most of what's well, there's more than two. So but, we can be great firewalled with even more ease but yeah, than most, the Chinese. Yeah, mostly it's not over satellite. Mostly satellite is for people's home connections these days. At well and cell phones and stuff like that. But that's what I'm saying is that you know a cell phone data connection still ends up passing through one of these fiber optic lines. If you're looking at a website that's not in the US Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously. Uh, so we are firewalled for all intents and purposes. Or we could be. Well, I would say that we are if the NSA has, you know, that level of access to all data coming in and all data coming out. I mean, that's what a firewall is. Well, they're not blocking anything. Right. But it's still there. It's still They're, they're capped in. They're just not, they're not blocking anything yet that I know of. But it would be a How simple matter How much more would the internet to... suck if uh, suddenly it was just me, I was just able to access the United States internet? Well, that's what the governments of the world are working toward. I, I would agree with you that that's what they're trying to yeah. do, but it just seems like probably what I'm doing on the internet, well, by and large, it doesn't really matter for me. You know, mostly. I mean, there's some clients that I have that are outside the United States, and you know, that would certainly, you know, be a a, a hardship for my business. I'm just thinking that you know the websites I go to and stuff, they're probably all uh, housed here in the United States. Yeah, most of them are, are American, but even Free Talk Live, we the webs the website is not hosted in the U.S. Yeah, we do that on purpose, right? We do that on purpose. Yeah. So the so if I was to go to the I don't believe in subjugating uh, plural pluralizing subjugated verbs if what? I was to go it's a long story if I was to go to freetalklive.com it would travel through one of these pipes and the NSA would be able to monitor that traffic well it's free talk live is hosted in Montreal so uh, that's okay. just that's the, not going over okay, a transatlantic yeah. cable well that's good news at least 855-450-3733. My brain is just kind of shut down to learn that these tra- these transcontinental pipes exist and that they're just that accessible by, right. by the, the feds. Yeah. Let us know what you think. free talk live take control of the airwaves 855-450-3733 it's 855-450 free as in freedom with you tonight is aria michael and mark and we've been talking about the gdpr and various problems in regards to this whole nationalist or the the european union isn't a nation so so what would you call that it's a federation it's a yeah it's a federation so what's interesting but here but the united states used to be a federation well it is too. a federation well it's just that kind of. it functions like a state the the thing is is that it's been it's a federation that's been around long enough so the power has flo- flowed upward as it tends to do and the, As we see happening with the EU today, right? Well, you read earlier when you were reading the, about this, you were you, you, the title of this, uh, you know, this Jack Hole who's uh, talking here is something about blah 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 the German state, right? Right, and that it's right in this, the name of our states, right? It's they are the sovereign organizations here. 
the United States is a federation of uh, you know sovereign organizations that decided to work together. Exactly so, like the European Union is set up to be. I've argued with right. so many liberals on this subject. Like the state of California was where one of these people was from, and it actually has the Republic of California right there on its flag. Trying to explain to this college-educated liberal that the California was a sovereign state, its own republic, yep. was it was a monumental waste of time. Well, they never but, learned that in college because they, they're not taught that in college. They're taught something else entirely. Yeah, and indeed, functionally, it's best if you don't learn that because yeah. that's not how life is. Life True. is that the United States, that Washington, D.C. is the world's most powerful city state and you will do what it says or suffer the consequences. Now, um, the state, you know, the states themselves have all lost their sovereignty, mostly not because it was taken from them by Washington, D.C., but because they were bribed out of it by Washington, D.C., because it has the power to create money. Right. DC does. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. DC they, takes your takes your taxes and then gives them back to the states. Right, and then the states the states are like, With yeah, we, we desperately need that, and so they want it, and they'll do whatever it takes to get it. The reason that we have seatbelt laws in forty nine out of fifty states is because the Department, you know, the United States Department of Transportation or whatever the organization NTSB, I don't know, um, decided that it would hand out, you know, a not the biggest bribe in the world, but a bribe to states to get them to make seatbelt laws. And now you mentioned 49 out of 50 states. I assume New Hampshire is the only state. New Hampshire is the only state in the union that does not have a seatbelt law for adults. And uh, has no helmet law either. It's no helmet law either. But in this case, the, um, they didn't take the $3 million. I, I happen to know that I was sitting in some some session or whatever where they were trying, well, we want this $3 million. $3 million is nothing about for roads. I mean, you're talking yeah, about I would agree. nothing at this point. Maybe when they passed the laws or whatever and New Hampshire was going to get $3 million 30 years ago. Yeah, 50 years ago, $3 million would have built a few miles of road. Today, it barely gets the construction company to wake up. Right. I mean, it's nothing. So... You know, I don't think New Hampshire is ever going to have a seatbelt law. And by the way, compliance to uh, for seatbelt usage in New Hampshire is almost as high. It's the lowest in the nation, fiftieth, uh, uh, but it is like a couple of percentage points different from Massachusetts, right? Which is its next door neighbor. So Massachusetts, where they do have a seatbelt law. Um, has lower compliance with seatbelt usage than New Hampshire. Those numbers may have changed. I, I looked some time ago. Seatbelt laws ago. are such nonsense. Like several years ago, I was pulled over on my way to work for not wearing a seatbelt. I was driving the speed limit, driving safely, but I did not have my seatbelt on while people drove by me doing 70 miles per hour yeah. in a 55. I was the one who was pulled over. And, what, and I ended up losing my job for being late that day of work. It's a, that's a primary state. Right. And, and people listening are like, well, well it's that's not your su- fault. You should have done it. It's not supposed to be right. When they pass a law, we're not going to be able to pull you over for not wearing your seatbelt. No. It, we, but if we pull you over for something else and we find you without a seatbelt, then we'll just give you a ticket for it. Yeah. But then they'll just make up something to pull you over for. Like, well, it's worse than that. 55. They don't have to anymore because it just slowly expanded to the point where, oh, yeah, they, right. they can pull you over now for not wearing a seatbelt. That was not how it was sold. That's how they do it. The they, get their, they get their. They get their tongue under the nose of your tent, and then you're done. Yep, that's how they do it. And it was extremely effective. And now 
throughout most of these states in the U.S. You can be pulled over just for not wearing your seatbelt, even though it was sold to the people as a secondary infraction. Yeah, I don't know whether that's still the case in Florida or, or whatever. I mean, secondary, primary, I don't know. But ultimately, if they want to go after you for a seatbelt infraction, then they can because they can pull you over for anything. My favorite is weaving inside the lane. Did, so, did, did you like the whole, I got pulled over for my blinker blinking too fast that happened recently? No. That was a pretty good one. That's pretty pretty <laughs> amazing. Having the cop stand there and, say, and just look silly with no idea how to respond when I asked him, well, isn't that what blinkers are supposed to do? Was sure. just priceless. And it's all on video. You can go there and watch it. Where? It, um, actually, I don't think you can because I'm banned from Facebook still for like 10 more days. Hmm. And that's where it's at. Did so, uh, Ian not put up a copy? Uh, no, Ian accidentally deleted his copy. Oh, oops. Yeah. So if you're banned from Facebook, people can't go to your page? They can go to my page. I'm just not sure whether or not the video is there because all of these things were happening at once. I got banned the same night that I got pulled over by the cops. I see. By, by sheer coincidence. So I'm not sure what... So you sh- can't get the video because you, you Facebook lived it. Right. It was Facebook Live. Okay. Uh, because the Cell 411 app, which is a wonderful app, that I would highly recommend everybody uses, in addition to the Waze app, that's W-A-Z-E. But Cell 411, it immediately sent out a request letting all of the people in my friend circles, my cells, know that I was being harassed by men with guns. And Ian showed up, Matt Roach showed up, and it was it was quite humorous considering what was happening. Yeah. And it's just absolutely silly. Uh, download Cell 411 if you're getting harassed or something like it's that. GetCell411.com. That's the name of the site? Yep. It's also just on the Google Play Store. So that's how I yep. found it. Cell 411. Yeah. It's a great application. It is. It's really a phenomenal application. And it has a built-in streaming service. Once you set it up, you can stream directly to YouTube as well as the Cell 411 Facebook page and your own Facebook page. This uses up a lot of bandwidth, naturally. But their servers were having some kind of issue. I don't know exactly what. Mm. But so it kept getting interrupted. The streams did until I finally just said, screw it. And... Facebook Live. And Facebook Lived it. Didn't have a problem. No. But it was it was humorous to be pulled over in part because my blinker was blinking too fast. And we're told, oh, well, that means one of your bulbs isn't working, but I've since checked and both both bulbs are fine. So, Well, you know, that's another thing about... You, know, you, they you can, have a tail light out. Smash. Well, they, they, it doesn't even have to be out. They could just be, you know, nope. I, when I looked at it, it didn't work. It may it may work uh you know a thousand times after this, but it didn't work the time that I looked at it. And there's nothing you can do about that statement because it's an officer claiming that something happened. And <laughs> you cannot even say that it didn't because it's your tail light. You're driving. That's true. And that's the real mark of fascism, is that nothing actually has to be wrong with your vehicle. You don't actually have to be doing anything wrong. You can be weaving inside your own lane, evidently. How did this this happen to you or someone you know? I've I've heard it uh, used in the past. It's never been an issue for me. I never have trouble on the roads. I rarely have trouble on the roads as far as uh, police go and that sort of thing because I think it's just because, you know, I'm me. And I'm a middle-aged guy who doesn't have – isn't going to be – I don't speed. I do not speed because I'm not giving these people any extra money. To me, um, speeding tickets are just another form of taxation and – I'm not giving them extra stuff. My One of my favorite things to do is get in front of a cop and go the speed limit. Oh, absolutely. I love that. Because you know they hate it. Right. 
I because don't like the speed abused. limits are set too low because the, and the cops go in and enforce them. You don't like it, pal? You can do a hell of a lot more about it than I can. And for now, you're going to go 35 miles an hour. Enjoy. Well, I mean, you have no choice when a cop is behind you because they will pull you over. Even if they pull out, even if they are I, going 60 miles per hour until they get too close to you and then they slow down, if they want to, they'll pull you over. When and I you was can't go faster. younger, um, I absolutely would speed, go, you know, a little bit when uh, I, I always went over the speed limit because I figured, well, the cop doesn't want to do it either. <laughs> you know, right. they don't. And one time I had a police officer. They don't, but if they want to pull you over. They will. They will. Right. It, it uh, doesn't matter if you're. Up. I was going five miles an hour over the limit, which was my practice at uh, at one point. And a uh, police officer in, I think it was like a, a statey in Arizona, flashed his like headlights at me to let me know that you shouldn't be doing that when I'm around. And then went on his way. Wow. That's, that's so, the only time that's ever been an issue. That's pretty nice. innocuous. I mean, there's a story of the old woman. I think she was 60 years old who was arrested for doing 38 in a 35. Wow. Yeah. So... Eight five five four five zero three seven three three. What does that mean? Arrested. I'm not sure. I will look into it. Okay. Would you like to hang out with Penn Gillette? He's keynoting Freedom Fest this year. I, for one, am thrilled. Freedom Fest is the largest liberty-oriented gathering in the world. They take a big ten approach with libertarians, conservatives, liberals, anarchists, capitalists, and just open-minded people mingling together to hear real debates, share real solutions, and converse freely. This year's theme is the Wild West, a time of liberty and opportunity, or a time of anarchy and violence. Maybe both. Go to freedomfest.com slash FTL and get your tickets now. Freedomfest.com slash FTL. Not convinced yet? Hey, I understand. It's a high-end event. Even with coupon code FTL50. Sure, you're likely to receive investment advice that'll make that sum seem paltry, but I have something special for you. Go to freedomfest.com slash FTL and you'll get the five best speeches from last year for free. Call it a test drive. Do yourself a favor and go to freedomfest.com slash FTL. Freedomfest.com slash FTL. Use coupon code FTL 50 for a discount. Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, talk radio that you control. 855-450-3733. Again, that's 855-450-FREE, as in Free Talk Live. And with you tonight, it's Aria. Michael. And Mark. And cryptocurrency is always in the news, but uh, in the last few days, it's become more. It's because there's a lot of cryptocurrency news organizations these days, including Bitcoin.com. Yes, and Cointelegraph, which is where our current story comes from. Evidently, uh, yesterday or the day before or sometime recently, uh, the orange man yelled at cryptocurrency. Yes. Essentially because he doesn't understand it. Thank you, Donald. Yeah. You think it's because he doesn't understand it? Uh, well, he... He seemed to have some grasp that it was in competition with the U.S. dollar. During the course of his little... Taking the Twitter as he does, or actually, I think this was actually in some speech somewhere. He this stopped to point Trump. out. He doesn't even understand what country Americans were born in. He says something oh. to the effect of, I don't like Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, which aren't money, because they're unregulated and they're used for illegal arms and drug sales and things like that. Well, my, my favorite rebuttal to that is, is that Bitcoin pales in comparison to the u.s dollar when it comes to arms and drug trades right i mean 
no, no, no. The currency of our illegal arms dealers and uh, you know big time drug dealers. It's not Bitcoin, ladies and gentlemen. It's the U.S. dollar. So if we're going to go after a currency for being you know the currency of drug dealers and and kidnappers and whatever the hell the you know the, these disparagers wish to to call Bitcoin, you need to go after the dollar first because that's where the problem is. Well, I mean, that's exactly it. We've had think tanks and various governmental organizations come out and say, oh, yeah, by the way, um, there's no there's no terrorist organizations that are regularly making use of Bitcoin. There are no drug dealers that are regularly regularly making use of cryptocurrency. But you still have these other governmental branches that are like, no. Yeah, it's well, used for drugs. Well, crypto certainly is used on the dark internet, you know, the dark net um, to acquire drugs. But largely, it's my understanding, I've been to Silk Road, but the original one, so it's probably been close to ten years since I went. Um, to, br- to just just to take a look, just to take a look, quite seriously. Yeah. Um, I felt like as a journalist, I need to, you know, if you call me a journalist, um, you know, whatever. I, as a commentator who talks about these issues, I need to go and take a look at this just to see what it is. It wasn't ten years ago because uh, Bitcoin. We didn't talk about Bitcoin until 2010, so maybe 2012 or something like that. I went on to Silk Road and took a look, right, uh, to see what it was uh, like there. And you know, I, what I saw was people. Buying what they, you know, being able to buy sort of usable amounts of drugs, not, you know, getting the amount of drugs that turned them into a drug dealer, the amount of drugs that, you know, they wanted to consume. And that's not at that point, you're talking about something entirely different. I would agree. You're talking about people who are reducing, uh, increasing their convenience in getting drugs and uh, reducing the harm in their lives from the drugs, like, because it's not, it's not the equivalent of bathtub gin anymore. You know, these things are tested. You've got a drug dealer who's getting ratings. That's a big deal. You don't get ratings from, uh, you know, the guy down the, that you're buying off the street corner. There are no ratings for that. So this is making the world quantifiably a safer place. And the politicians don't like that. Why? especially in the United States, because they want drugs to be unsafe. They, they do. Drugs provide uh, work for their friends, the drug dealers and the cops. Don't you tell me, ladies and gentlemen, that you don't believe that drug dealers give uh, campaign contributions to politicians. Oh, yes. Don't you tell me that, because you're not that much of a fool. These people with big money, yeah, they're buying politicians. Why? How do I know that? Because they always have and they always will. Drug dealers want drugs to be illegal because oh, absolutely. Th- that drives up their profit margins. The legalization of pot has been more destructive to the illicit cannabis trade than anything else could possibly have been. Yeah, I mean... Th- this is why the major kingpins don't typically go down in flames. They don't typically wind up in jail. This is why the Silk Road and Ross Ulbricht were made martyrs by the state. It's because the drug dealers want these things to be illegal because that's nobody is going to buy five dollars of unknown, un, untested pot when they can go to the store, buy it legally and know exactly what they're getting. Just like we don't go out in the streets to buy homemade aspirin because we just go to the store and buy it and we don't have to worry that it's going to, you know, make our eyes bleed. Yeah, I don't I, I've only been in one pot store and it seemed like the pricing was uh, still pretty high. 
Um, I don't know about $5 quantities or anything like that. I just don't know. I'm, I'm not consuming marijuana, whether it's legal or illegal, um, any more or less than I ever would, which is to say, I just don't do that stuff anymore. I did when I was younger. I don't do it anymore. Um, if I feel like doing it, I would. But I don't. Yeah, I don't do cannabis either. Not, neither, neither do I. There you go. So you got three people not doing cannabis, talking about it being legalized because, well, it should be. You should be free to use whatever medication or drugs you want to use so long as you deal with the consequences. I mean, MDMA. The consequences. Now, when you rob me to get the money for whatever or you hit me in your car, then uh, I think you should be responsible for your actions. And it doesn't matter to me why, what, what drugs you were doing, you're responsible for your actions. Certainly. And, you know, it, it's worse than that because there are these man-made drugs like MDMA, G, uh, GBT, and all of these others that are party drugs. They're fun drugs. They're recreational drugs. But if made incorrectly, they can be devastatingly lethal mm. in extremely small doses. If you were to be able to send it off to some lab, which you can do now to get it tested or something like that, you mitigate a lot of that illegal a lot of those illegal consequences but it's still illegal and you have to run the risk of the fbi or the post office just intercepting what you're trying to get sent tested yeah it's only a problem because it's illegal otherwise you could just go down the go down to the store and be like i want some mdma tonight in the same way that you buy alcohol not worried that it's taste tainted with arsenic but aria how are we going to fill the prisons if drugs are illegal that's a real issue because... With the drugs that people are going to buy. <laughs> the drugs. Um, right. I mean, you know, they've got this huge prison industrial complex. And if you were to legalize drugs tomorrow, I think, just guessing, you're talking about everybody who's in for drug crimes, which is probably about half the prison population yeah, from what we half. can tell. And then you're talking about everybody who's in prison for committing crimes to get drugs. So the guy who's robbing the liquor store in order to get some crack or whatever you know the, the scenario is, a, a lot of those people wouldn't be there either. So you're talking about cutting prison population in short order, because obviously you'd have to cycle through those people. The people that are still in for robbing a liquor store aren't going to get out because drugs are legal. Um, you know, um, so... You know, they have to cycle it. But in a generation, you probably would have about a fifth as much crime and therefore a fifth as much, um, you know, incarceration. Hmm. Cut crime by 80 percent, legalized drugs. There you go. Yeah, but then, according to these people, you would just have more people on drugs. Maybe. Yeah, so what? Maybe you would have more people on drugs. Maybe you wouldn't. I don't know the I answer to that. I don't see any reason why we would. I don't need the government telling me not to shoot up heroin. I know. If it was legal tomorrow, I'd be like, oh, well, heroin's legal, so I might as well just go out and shoot it in my veins. No. I tend to think there's there's this amount of people who say, when it comes to marijuana specifically, um, are probably doing marijuana that weren't doing it before, but it's not a very large percentage. And when it comes, and I think that probably goes down when you're talking about things like heroin, which has a pretty bad rap. This is a destructive drug, and it's a poor life choice to say, I'd like to develop a habit to do this. Well, nobody wants to develop a habit, you know. Well, N nobody wants to develop. When you pick a, up a cigarette, you kind of know what's going to happen. I'm not sure that's true. Because, I mean, as, as I most of these smokers that I know started when they were like 12 or 13 years old. 12 and 13 year olds know what a habit is. I didn't. I my dad I smoked had, every day of my life, and I decided to start smoking. I think I probably had some peripheral awareness of it, but I didn't realize that you know I was 
10, 10 years later, I was going to be waking up, and if I didn't have my cigarette immediately, I was going to be wanting to choke someone. <laughs> Man, I, didn't, I didn't see that one coming. I didn't recognize that at that age. I didn't. I, wouldn't, sure. I would not have signed on for that if I knew what it was That's truly going to be like. That's problem childhood. 855-450-3733. This is Free Talk Live, talk radio that you control, 855-450-3733. Again, that's 855-450-FREE, as in freedom, or use the Discord call-in lines, which you can find at discord.lrn.fm and join in on the conversation there. Always something being said that's of interest. With you tonight, it's Aria. Michael. And Mark. And we were going to get into this story about how the orange man doesn't like Bitcoin, and the treasury, the secretary of the treasury is like, oh, yeah, I don't like Bitcoin either. But, you know, really, that's not news. <laughs> right. The, the government doesn't like the currency that was created to take that power away from the government. Yeah. And, you know. No surprise. Ducks go quack. Yeah. The state doesn't like the thing that was invented to undermine the power of the state. But if you have thoughts on that, the number is 855-450-3733. It's 855-450-FREE. And, well. And we we would love to know because, uh, to me, uh, cryptocurrency is probably, and I'm not just saying this because cryptocurrency is very kind to me, but it's the way that we establish economic freedom, as I was talking about earlier in regard to the economic means versus the productive means. It's the way that we acquire economic freedom which yes. is all freedom it is absolutely the most exciting thing i've seen in in, in the liberty decades, movement ever. in liberty yeah. movement as far as ob- obtaining that economic freedom uh, i went through the the 2000s where you had one thing after another get shut down by the government the liberty dollar the liberty reserve do you yep. remember that one i don't remember liberty reserve no that was a uh what was he doing? He was... Uh, I mean, he was assim- attempting the same sort of thing, essentially, right. to undermine the power of the government to provide people with economic stability and economic security that the state couldn't just destroy on a whim. But they were all based on fiat currencies, and cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin and Litecoin Dash, all the Monero, all the ones that have come after it, are not based on the state, and the state is having a lot of trouble controlling them. And that's what makes them so. That's what makes, that's what makes them so exciting and something that you really need to look into. Well, let's go to the phones. We've got Lee calling in from Jackson. Lee, your own free talk live. Hey, how you doing? Doing great. What's on your mind? Uh, all right. Uh, first, I wanted to say this has nothing to do with Orange Man. All right. Listen, if anybody has wanted to do anything for our economy. Trump has been doing everything and anything he can to to uh, boost our economy. <laughs> Cryptocurrency, I, I understand, is supposed to be a way to skirt skirt the man or whatever, but that is not the case. Um, I mean, really, you're you're still going to be taxed. It's still going to be the same the same fiat that you're you're totally against. Well, I, I mean, don't think really so. Go back, Let me, if you really want to go back to the basics, what you need to do is get into free trade, which is honest to God capitalism. Right, right for that. Yep. And 
and everybody works and pays their own way with what they produce and they can uh, do with. I, I'm Crypto for that. But is manipulated fiat currency. It's in, not a fiat currency in, uh, because the government doesn't say that it uh, it isn't uh, made by a fiat, right? Like it's not a. a not, not, well, not yet. No, but well, fiat no, means it, by it decree. Is controlled by somebody. It is controlled by somebody. It nope. is manipulated. Uh, well, it might the markets might be manipulated in so much as like the gold markets and silver markets are manipulated. I, I remember, I remember just recently a guy had people digging all over uh, uh, Great Britain looking for a computer because there was a hard drive with yep um, so many a bunch on there. Yeah, yeah. It, well, yeah, it, it's but, the same. It's the so same. Deal, it's not man. the same thing. It's not. It's not even close. And, and I'm sorry that you're mistaken on this. Uh, uh-huh. But you know, let me explain the difference. Now, when, yeah, I get, I get what you're saying. Well, the, well, the the important part here is is when there was a financial collapse just about a decade ago, the uh, the big banks were too, that were too big to fail were given a whole bunch of money by the Federal Reserve. Now, when my business yeah, had thanks, trouble, Obama. well, yeah, I don't care who's I don't care who's doing it, but when my business was in trouble, they didn't send me a check. They only cared about the banks. They didn't send the rest of us that kind of money. You can't do that with Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a scarce resource. They cannot make more of it. There's only going to ever be 21 million of them. Who, who says? The, the program. The, the code. The code itself. You cannot, says be, that. It, you cannot change that. Uh, no, you can change code. Well, sure, you can change, you can change yeah. code, but the thing about Bitcoin but it won't is be Bitcoin, then. you have to get everyone to agree to it. Or at least 51% of them. I mean, yeah. we didn't get everyone to agree uh, to it. Well, That's why we have Bitcoin Cash now versus now, Bitcoin. Now, but see, these, that, these are positive the developments. in all of this because if that were the case, then the free market and uh, Wall Street would be way more Wall Street is not the free market. <laughs> well, well, hey, we're talking about uh, tradable things, uh-huh. right? Sure. And uh, okay, so you, the code can't be changed. This can't be traded. This can't. It can. It can be traded. It can be changed. It's it, trade, but it, can, it can't be. Tra- it's it, unlikely that you can. They couldn't. They they couldn't even get uh, the agreement for a block size change, let alone uh, the amount of uh, you know to to change the amount that's ever going to be produced. I don't think they could do it. This it, is the equivalent of attempting to change the chemical composition of silver. That that's what changing the code. Well, that's means. impossible. I mean, sure. so it's and, the difference between highly and, unlikely and like when I say highly unlikely, the chemical composition. Uh, uh, yes, because we. Yes, uh, it, you are uh, changing. Code? You are changing the composition no, of Bitcoin to- totally in order things. to do it. it it's not well, at all. Well, You're modifying well, the composition. I, I'm I, not I saying, would almost let me let me my, my point, point please, caller. On the same part in. Like our election machines, oh, that could never be tampered with. It could never be tampered well, with. Well, that's ridiculous. We Those know that the elections uh, can, can easily be tampered with, and we can show no, how they, it can be done. Now, what you're saying well, is true, right? Hold on. It's just an algorithm. Let it's make, just to be the code. No, well, yeah. look, look, you're a person who doesn't know about coding. Talk about coding. Yes, Bitcoin could be changed. Believe me, I know However, then, then, okay. you, then you have not looked and taken one second to look at Bitcoin. If you know about code and you're claiming that Bitcoin can be changed, you haven't taken one moment to look at Bitcoin because it's open source and, it, you know, the likelihood of the number of Bitcoins, the, the 21 million, dollar, million cap ever being changed is remote, remote. Um, and, and how many how many times have we already heard about Bitcoin being hacked 
from numerous Bitcoin has never been hacked. Bitcoin has never been hacked. It's like uh, no, there has been there, there has, has never been a hack of Bitcoin. Bitcoin being stolen. Bitcoins have been stolen in the same way that banks have been robbed, but that doesn't mean that the U.S. dollar doesn't work anymore. Not well, no. I mean, that's the same thing with the U.S. dollar. We've already dealt with for years and years and years. I mean, it's kind of so the because thing. somebody robs a bank, the U.S. dollar is not is doesn't work. Right. It's a, we we no longer say well you know the U.S. dollar is broken. Somebody robbed a bank. That's a it's a fallacy that we would certainly not say. And so with Bitcoin, you can't say Bitcoin's been hacked. The software itself well, if the, if works. The U.S. dollar can't work, and that can get hacked. And obviously, Bitcoin is kind of like a fallacy along the way. All right, man. Lee, thank oh. you so much for the call. Um, I, he was I was way confused. On it's a been whole lot it's of been stuff. years since I had a call like that. I, I couldn't years. do anything but laugh. Honestly. <laughs> So bizarre. Yeah. I mean, your point is absolutely right. Oh, no. Somebody stole some USD out of somebody's wallet. Clearly, USD doesn't work as a currency. It's a, it's a fallacy. It's a, Everything's a fallacy. It's the fallacy fallacy here at <laughs> Fallacy Talk Live. You love Bitcoin. It's the future, right? Well, no, not if everyone stops using it. I mean, think about it. How many places in your town take Bitcoin? One? None? Let's be real. If this Bitcoin thing is ever going to happen, it's going to need your help. The good news is the guys at AnyPay have your back. We built a website called HelpMeTakeBitcoin.com, and it's a place you can send any business. And they'll be set up to take Bitcoin in five minutes. HelpMeTakeBitcoin.com. This is Free Talk Live. Talk about whatever's on your mind. 855-450-3733. And with you tonight, it's Aria. Michael. And Mark. And as we were about to get into, uh, Orange Man, bad. Orange Man say stupid things. Uh, Sometimes about cryptocurrency. Sometimes about people in Congress. And evidently, uh, President Trump recently told four U.S. Congress women of color, according to BBC, to go back to the countries from which they came, and some Americans have been sharing their own experiences. I think you said theory. go back to where they came from. Okay. So, I mean, you know, that could mean just go back to your, you know, get out of Washington, D.C. and go back to your, you know, your little home area or whatever. So he didn't specify country. Right. He just said go back to where you came from. Right. Okay. And I mean, usually when somebody says that, what they mean is go back to your home country, whatever that is. Right. I'm so sorry this other minority basically has to hear. If you don't like it, you can just go to Somalia. Right. This That was the point that I made on our Facebook page today <laughs> uh, at free talk, facebook.freetalklive.com is, is that, oh, it's, I'm really sorry for the Democrats that feel so bad for getting told to, to get the hell out of here when libertarians get told that constantly. Yeah, it's every day. <laughs> every, you know, if it isn't, well, what about the roads? It's, well, why don't you go to Somalia if you don't like government so much? Well, you know, a failed st- a failed state that has had its uh, you know attempts at a government undermined by the United States, the UK, and UN member states uh, repeatedly isn't some libertarian paradise. It's just a failed state, okay? And that and all states are in some uh, level of failure. Absolutely, that's that is the nature of of of, of being. You know, 
anything. Everything is in a state of deterioration. All states are in a state of failure. So, you know, libertarians, are, there's nothing special about us. All we want is better governance. And all we um, understand is that the, the way that you get the best service is through competition. We're not claiming that there should be no government. We're claiming that that government shouldn't be a monopoly. Are you an idiot to, to say that we need a monopoly to stop monopolies from getting control? I mean, you know. Well, that is what leftists claim. You know, they want to create this super corporation. Yes. To prevent corporations from doing the things the corporations do. It's absolute right. unbridled insanity. Right. And the claim is that they don't have any power over a corporation. And they have you know, the power of influence the over corporations. The government charters all the corporations. Well, that, that much is true. Uh, but, but the I mean, government has the guns. When you speak, they, right, when you speak about it, like, you consider your vote to be a value? I mean, you have influence over the government so much as you have to, you get to say things, but they still steal your money. No corporation has ever taken your money from you. Only the government can do that. Certainly not at the point of a gun, at least. And if right. they do take their money from you, it's because they used... The state in order to do it, like right. with, the, with the Affordable Care Act, which was insurance companies robbing the American people. It was done because the state is there and the state was willing to do it in order to enrich these corporations that you morons want to make part of the state, uh, presumably to make their robbing us even easier. That's the only outcome to this. Very Welcome true. to fascism. So one BBC reader said that the incident was reminiscent of an experience on a London bus in 1975 when a white woman accusingly said, you foreigners, why don't you go back to your country? We were foreign students. We felt petrified. We immediately got off the bus on the next stop. She didn't wish to reveal her name, saying that racism is ugly, ignorant and hurtful. And unfortunately, it's everywhere. Okay, so one ruins one's case when one uses the term racism inappropriately so it is this isn't racism this is xenophobia this is jingoism this is a variety of things that aren't racism racism is the belief that one race right this artificially constructed uh idea and i say that because Let's call people, it a social construct. Yeah, it is like a social. Gender. It really is a social construct. It is. Um, this, this social construct that is race, and I'm not saying it's not true. Like, you can look at somebody and say, that person, some some people you can look at and say, that's a black guy. You can look at that. That's a white guy. But it's right? all a that, gradient, that, and where we put right. those lines is completely and totally arbitrary. It's true. It's the truth, right? Where right. the lines are. Um, you know, a good friend of mine is, uh, my, my, my best friend, I was uh, the uh, his uh, best man at his wedding, is... You know, his dad was black, his mom was white, and he's got wavy hair like a black man. He has skin that's about my tone, and he has freckles on his nose. So, but his nose is wide like a black man's nose. And, you know, what is he? I don't know. It's it's up to you to decide that at any given point. But either way, it's a construct. And when it comes to determining what racism is, racism is the belief that one race is superior at a particular act than another. So if you say that the black people are better at a basketball, that's racism. If you say white people are smarter than black people, that's racism. If you say Jews are good with money, all right, it's I would call it an, an ethnic, um, you know, overstepping because I don't really think it was a race, but whatever, you could call that racism. Sure. To I, say, I would call it racism. To say 
go back to where you came from is not racism. It's nationalism. It's something, right? It's it's yeah. it's uh, ethnocentrism. You know, the, the it's the same it's, sort it's of a thing culturalism. We've created this arbitrary boundary between these various groups, yep. and I want your group to go over there when that group isn't even real. It's a sort of insanity, I would think, a confusion about what reality is and what actually exists and what doesn't. They look at races, they look at nations, they look at all of these things that are just human constructs, just social constructs, and they go, right. "This thing is important. This is what matters." You people, you're you're interfering with the natural order, not now, realizing that this natural order is a figment of their imaginations. Right, and I'm I'm not here defending what Trump said. What I'm saying is is that when you immediately jump uh, jump to, to throwing down the race card, there are people who are annoyed at the race card. Okay, I'm sorry. It's, not everything is racism, and not everybody you disagree with is Hitler. All right, like that's like <laughs> th- these are the arguments of children. Stop acting like children if you want to be taken seriously. I don't know if they can. Like, I, shortly after right, the, Trump the Trump election. This is the Trump derangement syndrome, as it's spoken yeah. of. And this guy plays these people like fiddles. He does. It's amazing. Just like, after the 2016 election, I saw a, p- a picture of a woman who, that was trending on Twitter where she had taken her feces and written F Trump on her bathroom counter in her feces. In poop. This is a new level of derangement, people. This I is saw a, a tattoo. This is a grown adult. I mean, that, that tattoos, at least, this is a grown adult playing, playing with their poo. In their poo. <laughs> yes. Someone got a tattoo that said, Trump is not my blank president, where blank is a very uh, profane word. That you cannot say on the radio. Well, he's not mine either. He just says he is. Well, yeah. I mean, ultimately, that's uh, that's what the that's what the president is is a person who claims to be in charge of you. <laughs> right now, for me, Trump provides a level of uh, entertainment. He he is very entertaining. He's good I at like. That. This I is like... the wettest we've ever seen. What's from the, this is the wettest we've ever seen from the standpoint of the water. That was what he said following one of the hurricanes. I don't remember now which one. I think it was oh, North Carolina. That is glorious. Yeah, he's standing there on the White House lawn well, going, this is the wettest one we've ever seen from the standpoint of the water. <laughs> what? More rainfall than any other? I don't know. We which draw huge matter. crowds. I don't have an organ. Elton John, he's got an organ. I don't have one except the mouth and hopefully the brain that's attached to the mouth. That's the instrument. Well, we don't have instruments. <laughs> Just- he says some great things, what? but what I mean is, I just like to watch the uh, you know this the people with the Trump Trump derangement syndrome, and I I didn't coin that term. It's just true to watch these people <laughs> just like seethe, like grind their teeth. They're going crazy, and and now that the Democratic nomination process is in full bo- like Facebook, I, I I just can't even take it seriously anymore. I guess I've got plenty of friends who just lost their minds over Trump. <laughs> And by the way, the likelihood of a uh, seating, seated president losing a, uh, a you know a midterm, or basically not a midterm, but losing an election while the economy is good, it's pretty close to nil. I mean, it's nearly yeah. impossible. If there's a third party, if there's a third candidate that comes in and appeals to Republican voters, because because what they want is they want these liberal candidates. We need you know Bernie Sanders in the form of a woman, only younger, uh, or whatever it is that they 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 want. Um, by the way, Warren is my guess for who's going to win this. Um, you know, they, or they, Biden. Right. Th- that's not going to win. Sorry. 855-450-3733. Let us know what you think. It's 855-450-FREE as in Free Talk Live. Live. 
This is Free Talk Live. If you quick, you can still get in on the lines. The number is 855-450-3733. 855-450-FREE. As in Free Talk Live with you tonight, it's Aria. Michael. And Mark. want to thank Joe Schull, who is an amplifier. You go to amp.freetalklive.com and you can do what Joe has done, which is to support Free Talk Live. All we ask for is for $5 a month. We only use the money to advertise, market, and promote Free Talk Live. And as a result, we're on more than 200 radio stations, and we get more than 100,000 downloads per month on our podcast. And that's a pretty nice thing to be able to say. And I want to say thanks to all the amplifiers, including Joe Shaw. So thanks, amplifiers. Thanks, Joe Shaw. Amp.freetalklive.com. And we've been discussing here... Various times that the, the according to the headline, it's Americans were told to go home or go back. But it immediately begins off with people from the United Kingdom rather than people who are Americans. But in a three tweet thread on Sunday, Mr. Trump accused the four Democratic Congresswomen of viciously criticizing him in the United States. Not sure I really see what the problem is with that. Well, isn't that, I mean, I realize nobody really likes criticism, but... Yeah, Trump doesn't take it well. No, he does not. Uh, three of them on Friday spoke out about conditions in a migrant detention center they had visited, describing alleged mistreatment happening under American flags. I prefer the term concentration camp, but let's move on. Although the president did not name them, it was clear he was referring to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, Tlaib... And Ayana Presley, I guess, and then Ilhan Omar, who came. I'm familiar with that name. Mm-hmm. I'm not familiar with most of them. A- AOC and uh, Omar, I'm familiar with. His remarks have sparked condemnation in the U.S. and abroad. You well, can- his remarks spark condemnation for everything the guy says. That is very true. They do not like it when he says a thing. It's true. Anything. Speak. If he opens his mouth, it is unacceptable. When he takes to Twitter, it's unacceptable. Takes to Twitter. So before we get back into what these people have to say about times they experienced that, let's go to the phones. We got David calling from New Mexico. David, you're on Free Talk Live. Hey, Mark's wrong as usual. Oh, boy. what I do? Uh, you're, uh, well, I got something else, but I, I can't resist. Your um, your uh, definition of racism is, is uh, not even close. Okay, what's your definition of racism? Because as I understand it, racism is... I don't have one. I'd probably just look it up in the dictionary. But what I, what you said is not accurate. The but, belief um, that a race is superior to another, one race is superior to another. That's that's racism. No, and and I want to. Uh, well, yeah, that is. But you you made some other um, some examples you that you didn't like. Anal- you gave some analogies, which are not yeah. accurate analogies. But let's let's do that second. What I want to do first is uh, speaking of racism, uh, uh, Penn and Teller and uh, Weinstein and Epstein. Oh, Epstein. That's what I'm after. Oh, Dershowitz. I forgot Dershowitz. He's in there, too. But uh, Epstein, let's pick on him. Um, he has a New Mexico connection, right? I don't know. His, his ranch. That he, yeah, well, his ranch that he has out here that he traffics young girls to. Okay. And um, among, amongst other locations. I know he's at, he, like, uh, Palm Beach, I think, too. Yeah. I, I just want to uh, piece of my work product piece of my work product that I, have, that I haven't uh, heard anyone else say. I came up with it like a... Uh, or occurred to me long ago, and I, I, I had the opportunity to share it on uh, uh, George Norrie's program on Coast to Coast. Let me share, and I, and I was going to share it with you guys first, but uh, but uh, Ian uh, left let my call die on hold that day. The uh, the Epstein 
uh, where he takes his little girls to have sex with him, the, the piece of property that he bought out in New Mexico, the 7,000, 10,000 acres, whatever, that he bought from the former governor of of uh, New Mexico, uh, Gary, not Gary, Gary King's the son, uh, the right. attorney general that ran for governor and failed, Bruce, Bruce King. And, uh, and, then, and there um, was some confusion whether he bought it from King or from, the, from another governor named uh, Tony Anaya. Uh, well, and I mean, then there was a, he, he's courted he presidents to, before. So, I mean, having courted a governor really isn't the worst of his political yeah, connections. Anyway, so he, 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 bought this, he bought this land from uh, the political structure controllers here in New Mexico, one governor, and then there's another governor involved. Oh, and then Bill Richardson. He donated to Bill Richardson um, and uh, Gary King uh, when he was running for governor after his dad had been governor. And coincidentally, all three of those, Bill Richardson, uh, Gary King, and uh, Tony Anaya, I've had interactions with all of them, and Richardson's on my Facebook. But anyway, so he named this ranch the Zorro Ranch, and nobody yet has, besides myself that I can tell, has uh, noted the Zorro Ranch. Zorro um, film, Errol Flynn, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. What what did Errol Flynn like to do in in his off time? I don't know. I don't know. He, he was slightly before diddle, my time. He liked to he liked to diddle little girls. Is that so? Didn't know. Along with uh, yeah, along with uh, why would anyone, Hubbard? Why would we know this? All right. <laughs> why, why why would you know this? Yeah. Are, I mean, well, you, you asked it like it was going to what? be common knowledge or something like that. Well, it is common knowledge. You're just too young, little boy. <laughs> Everybody knows that Errol Flynn diddled little girls along with L. Ron Hubbard. Anyway, the point is... I'm is sitting here with two people who are Epstein, older than me, neither of whom seem to be aware of that. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, it's it's common enough that... Uh, dude, ask around. People will know. Anyway, he named this ranch the Zorro Ranch. Yep. And where do you come up with Zorro? You know, it just happens to be a coincidence that uh, the, 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 if you ask anybody who, who knows the name Zorro, the first thing that comes to mind in, in the greatest number of people is Errol Flynn. Yeah, for and me Errol it was Fox. Flynn liked to, like, liked to diddle little girls, just like Jeffrey Epstein likes to diddle little girls. And so I'm, I'm uh, suggesting uh, that uh, Epstein... That might be the reason. The ranch that, I think that's that a reasonable diddled. stance. I, I would agree. I mean, he named his jet the Lolita Express, and right. Lolita was about an older man. It's a literary reference, yeah. Yeah. And a younger one, yeah. So... Uh, I, I, I guess that I'm, I'm going to assume that's true about Errol Flynn. And I mean, of course, I mean, he drew- doesn't surprise me. So the thing about that, let's not act like this is entirely weird. All right. The reason. Thanks for the call, David. Yeah. Thanks for the call. Um, yeah. The reason that people are so upset with Epstein is, is because it's socially unacceptable for a man, you know, for a man to be associated with, uh, you know, a woman so much younger than him or whatever. But I mean, Throughout most of human history, we called this what, we called this what what it was. Um, is, is you know these fourteen, fifteen, sixteen year old women. We called them what they were: biological adults. They were adults. They were treated like adults because they were they were adults. Now, sure, sure, things have changed, and certainly preferences and that kind of thing. I'm not saying that what he did was delightful by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just saying that hey, this is kind of normal stuff as far as from a human uh sexual standpoint i mean generally speaking a a a girl is going to look about the same at 18 as she did at 16 
Yeah, I'd say that's accurate. Sure. You're not going to notice. She's not going to suddenly mature and you're like, oh, okay, well, now I'm sexually attracted to her. No, and you're lying to yourself and to everyone else if you say, oh, this girl, she's so hot at 18, but two years ago when she was 16, no, I I, I had no attraction a, to her whatsoever. You're right. lying to yourself at at minimum. Right. Obviously, you have the attraction. Th- this is part of what, why I think he's a sicko, though, is because if he wanted to do what he did, he could have done it with 18-year-olds. He didn't have to have uh, right. 14, 15, 16-year-olds or whatever. Um, he didn't have to have that. He could have had... All the 18-year-olds he could consume. Or in most cases, 16-year-olds. Depending on the state you're in, yeah. yeah. That, yeah. That's what I meant to say, and in most states. Yeah. Or maybe not most. I don't, I don't have any I don't idea know what, what the numbers right, are, but in, in some states. In some states, is all he had to do is live in a state, and I think that Florida would be one of those states. I'm not 100% sure. I can tell you that there was a time in my life when I had a girlfriend, and we, had, we were physical in Florida, and that we went from being legal the, the, the you know the act that we were doing went, went from being legal to illegal to legal again over the course of six months because wow. she was <laughs> she was fifteen when I was sixteen I turned seventeen and then she turned sixteen oh yeah it's a two age limit or something like that if both parties like are that, under yeah. the age of consent yeah. I don't know it's totally totally asinine and uh, that's not to say I condone it or I approve of it or anything like that but it's it's a weird heel for people to put the plant their flags on and then and then to lie to themselves and insist that you know no there's no sexual attraction whatsoever to a 16 year old girl i they have to be at least 18 before i suddenly get excited it's nonsense whether or not you're willing to act on that is a very different thing or to pursue it or to sure this is what self-control is right right and and you know that much is obvious you have self-control in all the other parts of your day why wouldn't you have self-control there i think the dude's you know a sicko I also think he's very interesting and has lots of information. So I don't know. I'm curious as to what justice is going to look like with Mr. Epstein. Thanks for listening. We'll be back at the same time tomorrow, every single night, seven nights a week. Go over to freetalklive.com. Listen to the show archives going back almost 10 years. Again, that's freetalklive.com. All right. It's another edition of the Edgington Post Show. I am Mark Edge coming to you for Free Talk Live. And today I've got with me an, an advertiser, David McIlvaney of McIlvaney ICA. David, you there? I am. Great. Where are you coming to me from? You sound awesome. Durango, Colorado. Four corners of uh, uh, just a beautiful area surrounded by mountains on three sides. Uh, we live. We love uh, living here and, and calling it our home. Yeah, Durango is down there, I think, in the southwest corner of Colorado. Do I have that right, or is it southeast? Nope, that's correct. Southwest, yeah. So that's the the little spot where that cross comes in, um, where you you just draw it right on the map. A huge section of of land there. So I I wanted to ask you a few questions about McIlvaney ICA. Now, you guys are one of the premier uh, distributors of metals and uh, numismatic coins in the United States. And you've been doing it for a very long time. If somebody was sort of thinking about, uh, you know, maybe the stock market's giving them a little, uh, you know, they're scaring them a little bit. People are buying gold right now. If they're thinking about getting into gold, what would you tell them? Yeah, well, just a couple comments on the company. We've been around since 1972. Gold was made legal in January 1st, 1975. And my father was integral uh, with two other guys in getting gold legal again for U.S. citizens. It had been illegal from 1933 to January 1st, 1975. We found um, some loopholes 
uh, tax loopholes that allowed us to be in the business and have sort of a first mover advantage selling bullion uh, to Wall Street firms and their clients there in the early 70s. So we've been innovators for decades and have kind of led the charge in terms of new products. Um, IRAs, 1986, the rules changed there and allowed physical metals into IRAs, and we were one of the very first to put hundreds of millions of dollars into physical metal IRAs. Uh, so, you know, we've, we continue to innovate with various products and offerings, uh, both here in the United States and overseas, uh, the most recent, which was vaulted, which is, um, basically a savings and banking alternative, just denominated in gold, our partnership with the Royal Canadian Mint. And, um, we love what we do. We love helping people, um, within the McIlvany financial group of companies is also our asset management company where we've got a tremendous team, tremendous team who, Wonderful credit analysts and uh, natural resource analysts and um, just a, a really neat family of, of, of offerings designed to help people navigate uh, challenging uh, market environments. And um, I mean, uh, yeah, it, these, these sound like uh, really great things. When I called up, I was uh, given over to a guy who's, you know, very knowledgeable right off the, the bat. Eric is his name. And um, he was able to educate me sort of the difference between bullion and numismatics. And uh, can you, you know, give me some uh, explanation uh, right there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, education is a part of who we are. It's, it's um, I think, maybe in another life we, we would have been educators, uh, both my father, my mother, myself. Um, and maybe the next generation too, second generation family business as we speak. Education is a priority. We want our clients to make very good decisions and uh, do it with, with a lot of context. Uh, the difference between bullion and, and, and collectible coins, uh, bullion focuses on just the commodity value. It can be a coin, it can be a bar, um, and, and that's where really you're just tracking the, the, the spot or just the melt value of, of the gold or silver itself. And uh, collectibles have kind of a, a dual story. One, you have the commodity value, which can go up and down, but there's also scarcity value. And with scarcity comes an interesting um, opportunity, given that a lot of uh, the kinds of products in question um, have various degrees of scarcity, supply and demand factor in huge. So you might have a, a coin that today sells for, say, a 20% premium over its, its raw metal value. But has a history of trading to 150, 200, 300 percent premiums, and so there's opportunities to gain and to to use those ratios to your advantage and increase the total ounces that you control if you're looking for that kind of inter-market arbitrage, if you will. So for us, setting the stage um, for a strategy begins with education. And some people, some clients just say, no, I just want something very basic. And that's fine. We, we go to bullion in that case. Um, and if, if they're looking for a more dynamic portfolio, then there's ratios between gold and silver. There's ratios between platinum and palladium. There's premium plays. Uh, with with things like junk silver and, and, and bars of silver, all kinds of things. But what you pointed to first and foremost, what Eric introduced you to, is is really our mode of existence as a company. Educate, educate, educate. I've been doing a podcast every week for 11 years, and it really is with a desire that investors would be making smart decisions with a broad context of macroeconomic inputs. So we look at public policy, we look at geopolitics, we look at a whole range of things that impact the markets and decision makers in the markets. Education, education, education is is a theme for us. You've been podcasting since 2009. You've you've one of the pioneers of the uh, the, the medium. 
Yeah, 2008. March 2008, 2008 was when we began, and, and it's been uh, amazing, absolutely amazing. We've talked to some of the most important central bankers and uh, politicians and uh, influential policymakers, and it's just it's been it's been really fun, um, a part of our lifelong learning expression. How do people find the podcast? Uh, they can find it on iTunes, certainly. Um, looking for McIlvaney Weekly Commentary, or we have our own website, McIlvaney Weekly Commentary. Um, th those would be the easiest ways if you're interested in the commentary. We've got a slew of websites, uh, so w that, that's that's the one that's really education-focused. And what about YouTube channels? Yeah, YouTube. If you look up McIlvaney Financial, um, you will find us on YouTube and uh, you'll see something up there twice a week. We do two different programs each week. One is really gold and silver centric called Golden Rule Radio. And the other is the McIlvaney Weekly Commentary, which is broader based. We're interested in a lot of questions where you might find us uh, talking about Bitcoin and who controls the Internet uh, and the gateways uh, within that, that space or you might find us looking at, at Mideast politics and, and changes in terms of who wants to, to control the narrative uh, between Sunni and Shia. So it really is broad ranging because, again, we want context for people to be able to make wise decisions in light of events that are occurring with, with some history and some background informing what they have to put into action. Right. There's no investment that exists without the context of sort of global politics and news, uh, all of them. It becomes very, very important. I'm sure there's some people wondering to themselves right now. It's McIlvany as in M-C-A-L-V-A-N-Y, not uh, M-A-C. So, That's right. Yeah. Um, and, and tell me about Vaulted. I used this product, but I can't say that I would call myself an expert at this point. We saw a need in the market for a very transparent, straightforward approach to gold investing, especially for a younger generation who might be newer to uh, the, the market or to gold. So we developed Vaulted. It's, a, it's an easy-to-use web app or web-based application, and it, it, to us it reinvents the way people invest in gold and really gives the investor the ability to say, well, do I want these dollars – at the bank paying virtually nothing or do I want some exposure to ounces and the ability to come and go from that product again this was partnered with the Royal Canadian Mint the ease of, of use with that application uh, is fantastic it's vaulted.com um, if, if you're interested and I think a, a key value that we embraced through the development was transparency uh, gold investment opportunities have been criticized due to hidden fees and taxes and vaulted addresses all of those issues by providing transparency throughout the investment process with some of the lowest fees in the industry and all that's going to shared uh, right up front with you. Another challenging thing within the gold space, if you look at the global geography and where gold comes from, not all of it comes from pretty uh, or, or put together places. And I think gold that is certified conflict-free, that's important to us and that's important to our clients. And so that has been a part of, the, the, of our vaulted program. And I think unlike other gold investing platforms, with vaulted you can buy and sell real gold. It's stored there at the Royal Canadian Mint. You can request your gold bars at any time. They ship to you uh, securely via FedEx. And I, I guess what people have given us feedback on is that they like its convenience. Uh, they like how user-friendly it is, 
And they like the fact that it's applicable to virtually everyone in the family. And I'll be honest with you, Mark, I, I kind of designed that feature for my own kids saying, you know, there's there's occasions where one of my little ones is interested in putting $10 into gold yep. and not necessarily 1000 or 10000 So it's that easy and it's that low in terms of the commitment. You, you can start with and you can treat it as a savings program. And that's the way my kids treat it. The funny thing is, that's exactly what I did with my son. I brought him over, and we have been doing a, a savings program. And I said, "Look, and, and and I think he should be diversified, not just in, uh, you know, some savings account or something like that. You know, here's an opportunity. Look, Jack, you can put in the small amount, um, and you know, something as low as ten dollars, and you can have it in gold. Um, but when you're talking about keeping it at another bank, what do you think about that, keeping it in a vault someplace? Um, you know, I mean, I've heard people say it's better because then the government can't come take your, your gold out of your house. But I've heard other people say, well, then they just go there to take it. So what do you think? Yeah, I think that when you're looking at planning your finances, uh, you want to have multiple options. And you you have plan A, you have plan B, you have plan C. And some of those plans incorporate worst case scenarios. I don't know that there's any plan that addresses every possible contingency or risk. So that's why you have multiple things going on, sort of multiple arrows in the, in the quiver, so to say. And so I do think the ease of use with the app, it appeals to a younger generation who might, you know, settle a bar tab using Venmo between buddies or whatever. You know, there's a, there's a variety of ways in which um, the digital medium has taken over our lives. And it's it's one of the reasons why Vaulted has been so well accepted. Uh, on that basis. But, you know, we also have a lot of clients that would say, look, I don't want anyone to know that I own this, and I'd rather take physical delivery of it and and put it in a home safe or, or a safety deposit box. I'm not a, a critic of that either. It's just another one of those arrows in the quiver. Um, probably one of the most effective tools, the ways to own gold very effectively is inside of an IRA. W within an IRA, you can go back and forth between gold and silver, platinum, palladium, some of the ratios I was mentioning earlier, and grow your ounces. You know, To imagine expanding your financial footprint without necessarily requiring an increase in the value of gold or silver, but through time you can multiply, like rabbits in a hutch, you can multiply your gold and silver ounces without adding more money to the account using those ratio trades and do it tax effectively inside of an IRA. So again, just another arrow in the quiver. I, I think I'm, I'm pro uh, on all of them, recognizing that there's a few um, disadvantages to all of them and a few advantages to all of them, each of them as well. Since you mentioned taxes, I know that relatively recently, maybe in the last 10 years, the United States government started requiring, um, you know, their reporting of turning gold and silver into other things. I don't know. I, you know what? I shouldn't be saying what I know. I don't know much, but I, th I think the tax situation sort of changed on metals. Can you elaborate on that? Well, I, I think the the reality is Uncle Sam wants his his slice of the pie regardless of what the asset class I'm is. I'm glad you didn't call it his fair share. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, no, fair share would, 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 would imply that somehow he's earned it. And well, Anyways, for another conversation, perhaps offline. Uh, but, you know, the, the tax issues relating to gold, this does go back um, to the 80s when it was treated as a collectible uh, and that gave it a, a distinction. You never go from having a short-term capital gain to a long-term capital gain with with the metals. 
And so in that sense, it's disadvantaged because the number stays large, even if you own it beyond a year. And this applies whether you're talking about GLD and SLV. These are exchange-traded funds that give you sort of a proxy for the price. They, too, if you're dealing with a tax person that knows his, his stuff or her stuff, they're also disadvantaged in that way, which, again, is one of the reasons why if you're setting up a trading account or approaching the metals uh, and want to see growth along with asset preservation, treating it as an insurance play but with a growth component, boy, that IRA is a great way to approach it because obviously you have no disadvantage there. Yeah. There is no such thing as capital gains. Um, there's long-term implications uh, as you're taking money out of an IRA, uh, but but you know you you don't have the short-term, long-term cap gains distinction. There's no issue with with it with an IRA. Right, and 99 plus percent of us are going to live to 59 and a half, or have a family member, um, you know, be alive when we live to 59 and a half. It would would have been 59 and a half. So um, an, an IRA makes perfectly good sense because you're it's going to be there, and, and you're going to get to take advantage of it. I love the fact that you can put metals into a Roth IRA because, you know, there you're talking about – I see the profile for gold and silver as, as having a very high growth profile. And what I, what I mean is is to see gold in the 50 uh, – I'm sorry, silver in the 50, 60, 70 dollar range off of a current 15 level and, and, and gold at $2,500, $3,500 an ounce, that's not going to surprise me. And it's really not commentary – on the growth trajectory of the metal as much as it is commentary on the decline in value of the US dollar and when you when you look at you know even the recent tweet from Trump this week he he was saying look i he was scolding mario draghi for printing money and 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 being so accommodative in his monetary monetary policy there in europe with the european central bank and, and then he swings back around at the yep. end of his tweet and says, but we should be doing the same. And I'm thinking to myself, this is competitive currency devaluation. This is how gold goes up in every currency because it reflects weakness in every currency. Now, I think there's the added traffic of concerned investors who want to preserve purchasing power and value through time, and they move into gold too, and that exaggerates the move higher in gold. But to me, if you can have that growth locked into a Roth IRA where you've already paid Uncle Sam up front, there was no tax advantage on the front end in terms of a write-off, but there's also no tax to be paid ever uh, when you're pulling funds out. You're 59 and a half, as you mentioned, or the mandatory distributions at 70 and a half. It's all tax-free. That's that's a beautiful trajectory. If you see a high-growth asset, what a, what a, what a brilliant tool. Yeah, and it seems to me that if I were looking at the financial markets that gold has a real opportunity of uh, taking off right now, uh, David McElvaney, what I thought the the brilliance of uh, what you just said is is that many people will say that uh, the U.S. dollar is strong right now. Well, that's a true statement if you compare it to crappy other fiat currencies. You know, the EU, the ruble, uh, the yuan, uh, the, the, the yen, whatever it is that we're talking about out there. But it's just being devalued slightly less quickly. My my good friend, he's no longer with us, but uh, a, a man who was in the gold business forever up in Canada, um, actually in the mining industry, used to say that the dollar is the best looking horse in the glue factory. <laughs> and and, and, I, and I, I love Ian's comment on that, the best looking horse in the glue factory. That, that really describes the U.S. dollar. So, yes, you're, 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 you're the best of the losers. And, and that's, that's kind of why I think when you look at the long-term story of gold and wealth preservation and asset protection, 
looking at European history, let's stretch beyond American history to European and ancient ancient history. Every experiment with money has included at some point moving towards paper, where yeah. you've got the free ability to print and create as much of it as you want. And every one of those experiments has ended in disaster. And that's why the public at some point demands a return to the disciplines of gold. Guess what? Central bankers don't like those disciplines. They like to be freewheeling. When I mean, you look at the PhDs that we have in our money system today, these are guys and gals who are smart. They earned the PhDs, but they believe too much in their ideas. They've got too much vested interest in their ideas. And I don't know, the old principle of pride comes before the fall. You see that over and over and over again in the world of money, in the history of money, where people believe that they can do a better job and it'll be more refined, it'll be more sophisticated, and it works for 10, 15, 20, 50 years, and then boom, it's gone. An extinction event occurs. Sooner or later, uh, the best jugglers drop the plates. And we're not talking about your grandma's fine china here. We're talking about the most valuable plates on the planet. And uh, what we're doing is we're asking smart people, as you've said, to continually not make mistakes. And we we saw relatively recently during the financial crisis from, I don't even know when to call it, 2005 through 2010. I mean, this, this, uh, you know, this, this five-year period where America held its breath and, uh, you know, things weren't so great. Gold and silver, they did pretty good during that time frame. Um, well, yeah, think- go ahead. I think that's one of the things, Mark, that that, uh, your listeners would benefit from. As you look at the financial landscape today, stocks are at all-time highs, and and they've pushed to these levels over a 10-year period. The longest bull run in history. That is exactly right. So when you look and say, well, all markets are cyclical, we've just had the longest bull run in history. Maybe it lasts another two years. Maybe it lasts another two days. Right. We're, we're in my opinion, on borrowed time. And, and you mentioned how well gold did in 2008, 2009. Well, keep in mind, there was a lost decade in stocks between 2002 and 2012 where stocks did nothing. They went down. They went sideways. But if you had invested around the turn of the millennium there in 2012, you are no better off. You've made no money in the S&P. You've made no money in the Dow. And you're actually still upside down severely from a NASDAQ holding. And yet gold is motoring higher at 10 to 12 percent annual returns compounded. It was amazing. And that's the way gold functions when there's less confidence in equities, when there's less confidence in bonds, when those markets are under pressure. Guess what? Gold does very well and vice versa. When stocks and bonds do very well, gold and silver take a back seat. So you've just gone through a period where gold and silver are actually in the position to be considered a value play a value play. They're cheap relative to just about anything else on the planet. And just about every other asset is very expensive. It's hard to put money to work in, in, in a, in, if you're a value investor today. And, and I would encourage listeners to be aware as you start to see volatility emerge in some of these markets, uh, whether it's currency markets or, or stock markets or bond markets, you better have positioned a little bit of your money, diversified a few dollars into precious metals. That'll help that'll to help sort of alleviate some of the pain and balance out your total portfolio uh, as you move forward. So I got a chance to listen to this uh, financial advisor. He's a Bitcoin maximalist. His name is Tone Vase. I don't know if you've, you're familiar with him. But uh, Tone said that uh, he was talking about gold and silver in the relationship. And silver has been traditionally about a 17 
uh, to one relationship with gold, gold being the one, like silver being the 17, and those being the ratio, uh, ratio being basically troy ounces. Um, but his says that uh, silver being at something like 85 to 1 now is because silver was always the currency of the poor people, the common people, and that kind of thing, whereas gold was the currency of the rich people. Gold still has value in uh, as a as a commodity, but silver is basically only used in jewelry and medical devices and these sorts of things now. And he doesn't believe it's ever coming back to that kind of uh, uh, relationship or anything near it. Can you comment? I, I wish I could fill in. I, I wish we had more time to fill in some of the gaps there because there's a couple of things that are, are – You just- have the time. Great. Well, let's start then with the ratio because the in-ground ratio is close to 17 to 1. So if you're a miner, that's relevant. When you're digging in the dirt, you're going to find um, 17 parts silver to one part gold. So that is true if you're talking about the Earth's crust. Now, how it's traded through time over the last 100 to 200 years, the average is closer to 31 to one, okay. uh, not 17. And on the high side, it will get as high as 85 to 100 to one. Currently, 90, 92 is the range right now. And that 85 to 100 is kind of the top end. If you're a value player, you look at the ratio getting that high, and silver's the cheaper of the two metals. Gold is the more expensive. So even though gold is not that expensive relative to stocks, for instance, if you're looking at just those two assets, silver is the better value today. Now, looking at the history of money and how gold and silver have changed through time, there's been arguments through time, metallism, bimetallism, do we use gold, do we use gold and silver? Um, you could even go back to the Wizard of Oz. This was um, a story arguing actually for the bimetallist gold-silver ratio, not just the gold ratio. This is a philosophical argument that goes back generations. The people who've wanted silver in the equation wanted the ability to inflate the money supply more to alleviate some of the financial and economic pressures from the poor in a certain period of time. And so – I. Listen, I'm, I'm not a bleeding art liberal, but I can appreciate how that would be nice if you're at the lowest end of, of the economic spectrum. Well, today it doesn't really matter. We don't have the metalist system where gold is, no. is, is front and center. We don't have the bimetallist system where gold and silver are, are present. What we have is a fiat system where there's nothing real backing our currency except a paper promise to pay and a lot of confidence. I would describe our current fiat system as the ultimate con game. But that's okay. People are still interested in it. People still have confidence in it. And so it continues. Um, I would look at gold and silver as assets that have their day in the sun again, contrary uh, to to Tone's comment. uh, They have their day again when things come under pressure. And I'll tell you, what has happened in the last six weeks illustrate this point perfectly. There is buying of gold over the last six weeks and not much buying of silver because it's caught what we call a safe haven bid. When you have people concerned about, let's say, the massive expansion of credit in China or potential trade wars going to the next level with China or the bombing of Iran and our implications of, of sort of a, a, you know, a third or, or fourth world war, you see – Conservative investors start to allocate towards safe havens. They'll buy U.S. treasuries, they'll buy German boons, and they'll buy gold. Guess what they don't buy when they're afraid? They don't buy silver, right? So, so silver gets left behind when the primary purchasing is, is what you call safe haven purchasing. 
But Silver gets on the bandwagon at some point if there's ever a concern relating to inflation of the money supply. And I think you see that at a later stage. If we were to go to war, guess what we have to do? We've always printed more and more money when we go to war. Um, if, if we end up in a trade war, you've already heard me quote Trump from a recent tweet this week where he said, look, I, I, I think these scoundrels overseas shouldn't be printing more money. It devalues their currency. And then he follows up his comment with saying, unless we devalue our currency, too, then it evens it out. Well, well yeah, that, I mean, like he, he says it every single time he gets an opportunity. He's constantly badgering the Fed and. Um, you know, whether you call it stack in the deck or not, he's putting in his his people into the Fed as as, as any president would. Um, but he's badgering the Fed for uh, lower interest rates, lower interest rates, lower interest rates. Money is injected in the system through loans, and those loans come are based on the Federal Reserve's rate. And when there's a lower rate, there's more loans taken out. That means more money in, injected into the system. He's constantly asking for this. Right. I, I think I think this is, again, where if you look at the history of money and the history of markets, what you're really dealing with is human psychology. And so I would have to strongly disagree with Tone's comment there because nothing has changed. And innovation with blockchain does not change humanity. It does not change my tendency to either veer towards greed or fear. And these are the trends which define markets and pricing in the markets, whether it's stocks, bonds, real estate, Bitcoin, gold, silver, and gold and silver do very well under periods of uncertainty and fear. And I don't think that's going to change. I don't think that's going to change. Uh, maybe there are other aspects that make something like Bitcoin or Ethereum or, or other digital currencies attractive but but again, what is the underlying motivation? I mean, I can tell you this, that one of the big buyers in 2018 and here in the first half of 2019 of gold has been central banks. From 2017 to 2018, central bank buying was up 74%. In the first quarter of this year, relative to the first quarter of last year, central bank buying is up 68%. They're not loading the boat with Bitcoin. They're loading the boat with tons and tons and tons of gold. And I think one of the reasons they're doing so at record levels is because they too anticipate turmoil in the currency markets. They look at trade as just the tip of the iceberg of things that can go wrong in the financial landscape in the currency markets at this point. And look what they're not buying. They're not buying silver because central banks don't care about that. They're not buying Bitcoin because the central banks to this point have not cared about that. Silver is an investor play following on the heels of gold. It's like the caboose of the train. Gold turns the corner long before silver does, but ultimately silver plays catch up. And that's why I think that ratio becomes important because if gold begins to move, it allows, even though the train has left the station, it still allows investors to get on board because that's one that is still rolling down the tracks and might give it the opportunity to get on board. And I understand a person like you can't really give advice, but do you have any thoughts the difference between, say, buying – I know the terminology is junk silver. I don't like the terminology, but I like to buy um, mercury dimes. I think they're uh -huh. distinctive-looking. And they they have a val a gravitas of their own just by looking at them, um, uh, and I I happen to like that. But I also have plenty of uh, silver bullion too. What do you think about the difference between these two? Well, so this is how I would stack the deck in my favor if I'm building a precious metals portfolio and a part of it has silver in it. So your quote-unquote junk silver, these are your old pre-'64, 1964 dimes, quarters, and 50-cent pieces where 90% of the physical content was silver. 10% was other junk. 
90% is silver. And so you can look and say, all right, well, a $1,000 face value bag of junk silver, whether it's mercury dimes or regular dimes, a $1,000 face value has roughly 715 ounces of silver in it, 715 ounces. This is a cheap way to buy silver. And because it hasn't been made since 1964, remember I was talking about premium plays earlier? Yep. This would be a classic example where any time this 90% junk silver is selling close to just the basal value, just the silver content, if I can pay just a few percentage points above it, I'm going to load the boat with junk silver because there are points in the cycle where you have that stuff selling for 18, 20, even 35% premiums over the silver content. And that's when I'm happy to let someone else own it. And I take the free premium dollars and plow it into regular bullion that I essentially got for free. So allowing someone like us to help set up a portfolio that has that dynamic, you may start with, let's say you started with $10,000 and it bought you X amount of silver. Our goal with that portfolio of gold, silver, platinum is to see you grow your ounces. And then if the market ever accommodates and gives you a, a high commodity spot price for those ounces, great. But our goal is to help you grow the ounces. And junk silver is the perfect example of how you do that if you play what we call the bag to bar ratio. That's, again, where the, the premium on the bags of junk silver go up and you translate those premium dollars into free ounces in some other form, whether it's 10, 100, or 1,000 ounce bars. So you can go get your free portfolio review by one of their uh, you know, the professional advisors over there at uh, McIlvaney uh, ICA uh, at 800-525-9556. I think I have my own special number here, David, and that's the reason I'm giving it. 800-525-9556, or you can download a, a free report online at icagoldsilver.com. David McIlvaney, thank you so much. Mark, it's been a pleasure. ICAGoldSilver.com. Again, the telephone number is 800-525-9556, ICAGoldSilver.com, 800-525-9556, ICAGoldSilver.com.